Bring it in. Read Option Podcast back with you here to uh, to break down almost all of Week 14. We're going to leave out Sunday Night Football. No one wants to talk about that game or hear about that game. It's not important, but we are going to talk about <laughs> all the other games. Um, no, we are here. Full, uh, not a full pod today. Me and Scotty are taking away. Vito's out at a a fancy work dinner. I don't know if it's a, like a holiday party or or what the deal is, but um, he said it was like a he corporate... He did not sound excited about it. No. Well, it also depends, right? Because some companies have like awesome holiday parties. Like you were saying, like you and Sung have, or Sung's work has a really fun one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and like I, my first year at SiriusXM, we had an awesome holiday party, open bar. We were at this barbecue place in DC. It was amazing. And uh, now we don't do it anymore. They just don't even have a holiday party um, because, well, you know, this is a public platform, so I'm, I'll say what I was going to say. But, uh, yeah, you know, we just don't do anything anymore. So now the holiday party just doesn't seem that fun. It doesn't seem like it's a, it's, it's not really something I look forward to every time, you know, we, we come around to this time of year. So maybe it's a that. Maybe it's a corporate thing. I don't know. But no veto. Nonetheless, it is me and Scotty. Uh, a very interesting week, 14 in the NFL. So I'm excited to dive in. There's lots to get to. But before we do that, how are you? Scotty, you were up in Philly this weekend. Uh, how was it? Being, Good, yeah. Uh, but up in my neck of the woods. You get it out was, of there uh, before the game? Did you, did you get out of there before everyone oh, yeah, yeah. started well hating before. themselves? Good 12 okay. hours before. Um, so, yeah. Um, no, it was, uh, it was a good time. Our annual uh, friend, well, uh, it was started by uh, your sister and and, and her uh, friends from Philly. Yeah, we got to uh, call it what course. it is. It's, it's Grinchmas. It is, yeah, yeah. That's the annual tradition that uh, after year one, which we were not included in, um, we were invited in year two and have gone every year since. So I think we're at uh, something like seven or eight this year. It's a lot of fun, um, basically like a Pollyanna, but we uh, we read the entire Grinch story. It's a lot of fun. Love the love the tradition. It's one of my favorites. I get the same passage every year. It's now like a running joke because we pick them out of a hat and like somehow I keep getting the and same you passage. Keep getting the same one. Yeah, yeah. What I, part, I, what part I, of it is it? Uh, and they'll sing and they'll sing and they'll sing, 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 sing. Um, <laughs> yeah, so. that's good. That is good, <laughs> yeah. and it's easy to remember too. Yeah, yeah. Well, now because I've done it so many years in a row, it feels like I, I've kind of mastered the uh, the delivery of it. You know, yes. me, I'm a sh- bit of a showman when it comes to that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> you are. If only you guys uh, listening and some of you listening do get to hear this, but Scotty's weekly fantasy football recaps. Are uh, are phenomenal. It's it's like Scott Hansen and Chris Berman had a baby, and you get and it's about fantasy football, and and you get Scott's weekly recaps. They're they're phenomenal. They they they're a bright spot in my week every week. Um, uh, all right, let's hop into week fourteen. Sure. Uh, shocking results on Thursday night. The Steelers got smacked by at the home. New England Patriots at home. Back-to-back losses at home to teams with two or less losses. Um, not great. Not great for the Steelers team that seemed to be finding ways. Now, look, Kenny Pickett getting knocked out, of, knocked out of that game against the Cardinals, like, that's a big loss, you know? Yeah. You, can't, you can't do that. But uh, I will say I kind of feel like this is where the Steelers team has been all, all year, 
they've kind of just found themselves on the right side of the coin. They always play AFC North teams really, really well, really tough. And I felt like yesterday, or this uh, that Thursday night game was kind of more emblematic about where this team is uh, in terms of like they have talent, but there's still a lot of holes in that team. Uh, Mitchell Trubisky, you know, he's he's bad even Not for the backup answer. standard. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Kenny Pickett, when he's been in, has been okay. But again, we talked about this before with him. You know, you got you got a quarterback here who's 25 years old and it's his second season in the NFL. You know, you don't have a lot of leeway here with this kid. He's I think a lot of people like Kenny Pickett and they want to give him a chance. And there's no question that I do think Matt Canada being there for, you know, the first 16, 17 games of his career uh, definitely hurt his overall progression. But this Steelers team, which we thought was like, ah, they seem like they're in a pretty good spot here to make the postseason. They were seven and four at one point. Now sitting there at seven and six and feeling like they are one of the teams trending downwards uh, as we as we approach, you know, kind of nut cutting time here as as we get towards the playoffs. Yeah, I, I think it was more about, you know, what's been working for the Steelers offensively has been not only the fact that Kenny Pickett was there, but their run game had produced um and been producing really uh, efficiently uh, over over the past few games over expectations, I believe. Um, and then they run into a Patriots defense who over the past like three weeks has just been really solid against the run. And it's become a really good unit. And if you can't run the ball and that's Pittsburgh's MO um, and, and you know, how much, how much do you want to throw the ball up to, uh, to Deontay Johnson and George Pickens when you're not able to run the ball effectively? I, it, it I, I think that was the the bigger problem. Um, What's not only having Kenny Pickett in there to to move and run the offense, but like the, the fact that they just couldn't run the ball at all, um, yeah, was was huge. And then I think it boils down to what Minka Fitzpatrick was talking about after the game. You know, there's uh, there's guys who feel like because they put on those colors that uniform that they're entitled to to winning. Um, and yeah, that might be semi-true because of how good the organization uh, has been over the years, but they got there for, they got that way for a reason, right? Yeah. It's the guys like Minka and TJ uh, and and Cam well, Hayward. When you who, go who, back from years past too, even yeah. right. Like you see those guys, you think of James Harrison, you think of the big Ben era. You even think about those teams in the early 2010s. That was, yeah. you know, Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown. And you know, th- those teams who- were so electric, but they also just consistently won. Yeah. But they came in and worked, right? It wasn't, yeah. and I think that this was mostly in reference to Deontay Johnson, who goes uh, one week he seems like he's all there, and then the next week he's just uninterested if he's not getting the ball. Now, why would you throw the ball to him at that point, right? <laughs> like if you, yeah, if you're not going to put the work in and and be part of the team that is winning, why would why would we give you the individual success? So. Uh, well, and it's I, I interesting think everybody's got to be bought in, but yeah, because like this, the Steelers are. If there's one organization that you trust to draft one positions, it's the Steelers drafting wide receivers, and Pickens and Deontay Johnson both are really, really talented. Um, and this is what I'm I'm kind of curious about because I kind of and not and and for P- Steelers fans, I know we have a bunch that listen to this pod. I'm not suggesting. What I'm about to say is not saying that I'm suggesting that this will happen or that the Steelers should do this. But it's a very it's just something I'm very curious about, which is what does the end look like for Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh? Right. Because when Bill Cowher took over, he was in his mid to late 50s. 
right? And he took over for Chuck Knoll, who is an all-time coach who coached into his you know late 60s. Phil Cower takes over for him, and then he coaches until he's he wins his Super Bowl. And then here's the the 36-year-old, you know, Mike Tomlin who's taking over as the head coach. I don't foresee a world where Mike Tomlin's going to be the head coach of the Steelers for 30 years. Yeah. Right. I mean, and not that he hasn't been unbelievably successful. He has. He's never had a, a losing season as the head coach of the Steelers. Right. But I do wonder. As we approach this kind of next generation where, you know, there's always been diva wide receivers, there's always been diva players, but there's no question that like football and, and particularly the players have changed significantly over the years. Right. And Mike Tomlin is an old school coach. And on top of that, he's a, he's a players coach and he resonated with the Ryan Clarks and the James Harrisons and those guys who were cut from that kind of cloth. He registers with guys like TJ Watt and Cam Hayward. But can you find enough guys who are built that way to have in your organization to be competitive winning Super Bowls? Because it's been almost 10 years since we've considered the Steelers a, a legitimate Super Bowl contender. Right. I mean, I guess if you go back to yeah, like apart from that 10 and 0 2020 start, but even then, like that, that's that team. We all we knew that whole time, like that team wasn't a contender. And that team also got their shit shoved in by Baker Mayfield and the Browns in the first round of the playoffs that year. Yeah. Right. So it's it's like we we all kind of knew that they were they were a 10 and 0 team. And I'm not going to say fraudulent. But they were, you know, fraud adjacent, at least. Right. It was it was like, all right, you're a good team, but you're not quite at that level, you know. And, and there was last couple of years where Big Ben and, and again, none of this is a criticism of Mike Tomlin, because looking back on how insane Antonio Brown was and how insane, uh, you know, Le'Veon Bell was and, and a Big Ben alone and all the stuff that came with Big Ben over the years. It's incredible that that team was as functional as it was. And I think that's a huge testament to how Mike Tomlin operates as a head coach. But it does make you wonder, like, five, ten years down the line, like, what does the end of that look like or what's it going to take? Because the Steelers, as we know, have never fired a head coach, right? Chuck Noel retired. Mike Bill Cower retired. They've never fired a head coach. I mean, hell, the fact that they fired a coordinator in the middle of the season, I think it was the first time since the 70s that they had ever done that when they fired Matt Canada this year. So it's just yeah. – it's worth noting, right? And in, in, in a football landscape that's – progressing at the level that it is with these, you know, these young running gun coaches, your Mike McDaniels, Shanahan's McVeigh's, all these guys who have won a ton of games and have been around for a little bit now. Like we're going to kind of hit that point where like, that's what the whole NFL looks like Because enough of these guys are going to start getting picked up, whether it's D'Amico Ryan's Shane Steichen, we're seeing it every year. And mm -hmm. Tomlin is a part of that old guard, despite the fact that, you know, I, is Tomlin, he might be 50. You know, he's if he's 50s in his early 50s, you know, I, I'm just it's a it's more of a curiosity thing. Like, I'm fascinated to know whenever that time comes, what's it going to be? Is it going to be him stepping down or do the does the Rooney family ever get to a point where they're like, no, we're going to we're, we're going to fire Mike Tom. I just I don't see that ever happening. But then again, you know, there's a lot of stuff we don't expect happening. And, and yeah. I'll say this: the Steelers are still going to get to eight. Are still going to get to nine wins. Like I still think they're going to finish over five hundred. Um, I still think, I think there's so a chance too, because to to your point, like I don't think that the philosophy, like the coaching philosophy from Tomlin, needs to change. Obviously, that's been working. Like something's been working. It's just like for for some reason on the field, when they're winning, 
it's great, but I still don't think everyone's all the way bought in. I think most yeah. of them are, but I, I think it needs to be everyone. I think it's opinion. good. I think it's good enough to get you to a winning season every year. Yeah. I don't know what it's going to take for them to get, and it might be a quarterback, right? It might just be like, Hey, Kenny Pickett's not going to be the guy here. And they might have to look ahead, but then again, they're never in position to draft one of these young kids coming in. Yeah. And so whether they have to go try to pick off a veteran who's, you know, going moving to a second team, I just don't know what's going to get them over that hump because what got them big Ben was being able to draft him in the middle of the first round. Right. I mean, big Ben wasn't a top. So maybe it's that maybe it's, it's you, you draft someone like Kenny Pickett in a similar spot, middle to end of the first round. And that's the guy that takes you there. But then you got to hit on that draft pick, which as we know with quarterbacks is a fucking crapshoot. You could get a hall of famer at 15. You can get a hall of famer in the third round. You can also get a hall of famer at first overall. You can get a bust at anywhere too. It's the quarterback position is so 50, 50 at all times. Um, Honestly, less than that, at least over the last 10 years. It's just interesting that like the Steelers always win a lot of games, but they haven't felt like a legitimate contender since that what would what they used to call them the killer bees right when it was brown ben and bell right like that's what they called them yeah like that was the last time that we really considered them and that was like before antonio brown lost his shit when and and Le'Veon bell was like a second year running back and i'm just it's just a, a curious a curiosity you know in my head is like we've talked about that with belichick like i wonder how that's going to end one day i'm curious to how this will end one day for the steelers for now you know, they, they still have a chance to get over 500. They still have a chance to make the playoffs. If the season ended today, I think they still would be the seventh seed. So they're not out of it yet. Um, and they've also I mean, like they've think, beaten the Ravens this year. They've, you know, it's, it's just so you think weird. Nine and eight gets you there though in the AFC. Honestly. Yeah. I, I, maybe not. I mean, you could be on the outside looking in, but we also have with these finishing games and how the NFL playoffs are set up right now. Um, it could go either way. You know, like it, it yeah. there's going to be games that cancel out, you know, cancel each other out. Like they have another game against the Ravens this season, right? They they beat the Ravens when they played them the first time. What's gonna happen the second time around? Um, like I'm I'm pulling up the rest of their Seattle. schedule here, right? They have a game against Seattle. Who knows Colts. what to expect? They play in the next Colts. Week. Like it's <laughs> three out of their next four games are all teams that are vying for playoff positioning in the AFC with the with the Ravens yeah. obviously being the one seed, right? Indy and Cincy, their next two games are two teams that are trying to leapfrog them to get into the postseason. So these yeah. next two games are, are really important. They play one on Saturday against the Colts in Indy, and then they play the Steelers. Uh, I, I think that's a Friday night game, actually, right? The 23rd? The yeah, the 23rd that's a Friday. Friday night game. Um, how great is that going to be? By oh, the no, way, that's we'll, a Saturday. Is it a Saturday? Oh, that's right, because Christmas is on a Monday. Um, yeah, so they have back-to-back Saturday games. Um yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be really interesting. I don't know. Like I said, I'm I'm not willing to rule them out because they're the Steelers and that's just what they do. Um, as a report four hours ago, uh, Mitch Trubisky will start this week once again against the Colts. Uh, oh we'll obviously preview that game moving, uh, you know, on on Thursday. But yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to say. All right, let's get to Sunday. We had some really awesome games and some really bad games, and we'll we'll start off. With the best game of the day, Ravens Rams, uh, I really there. I really did want to take the Ravens in this game. I just I couldn't get like I picked the Lions to cover against the Ravens when they played earlier in the year. I picked uh, the 
Seahawks to cover against the Ravens earlier this year. I did not expect the Ravens to do it three or to 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 now drop it right because I was wrong the first two times. Third time around, I'm like, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I'm not getting fooled the third time. I'm taking the Ravens. Uh, and they they almost covered, right? You know, but obviously you don't kick the extra point in overtime. The punt return from Tylen Wallace to, to end the game. Second time this year we've had a walk-off punt return. Uh, That's crazy. I think, which is nuts because I can only remember it happening before this year, the Deshaun Jackson miracle in the Meadowlands. And then I think it happened one other time in my lifetime. And it's happened twice in the same season. Uh, it's it's pretty remarkable if, if you think about it. And you know, it's so funny and so relatable. And this is this is one of those moments that, like, if if watching the NFL, you don't go like, oh, shit, like, I'm not, you know, I might have been an athlete in college or high school, whatever, but I'm so far different species than these guys that are out there playing. That moment when Tylen Wallace breaks that last tackle and you can see him start to fumble, like, stumble, and you can see the wobble, and he somehow keeps his balance and get back up. Anyone who is 20 and older who has tried to run at full speed, like for the first time since middle school or high school, has had that moment, and you eat shit every time. It's happened to me playing softball. It's happened and to twice me playing on baseball in college. Yeah, it ha- <laughs> happens to me all the time. And like watching Tylen Wallace do that, oh, is he going to fall? Can it get his pal? And keeps up. It's like these guys are – and not to mention he's doing that running like, you know, 15 miles an hour, full speed yeah. down the sideline well, trying not to get that tackled. Was the thing. When he kicked that into that that second gear after he knew that he was clear, um, after Justice Hill made that block, I was like, oh, my God. He looks like he's laboring <laughs> to get every ounce of speed out of his legs that he possibly could. Yeah. It I was mean, so awesome, though. I'll, I'll say this. like I And I was even okay with what happened because me and another one of our buddies, James, uh, we both had a parlay in and I just had Rams money line. All I needed, the only thing I needed left was Rams money line and it would have been the biggest payout I've ever had. It was a $10 bet. It would have won me over 300 plus dollars. So I was pulling for the Rams. But when you see a walk-off punt return for a touchdown, I was like, you know what? Mad. I'm not even <laughs> mad. That was fucking yeah. awesome. Like that was just cool. You know, like yeah. at the end of the day, you're like, fuck it. That was just cool. So uh, great win for the Ravens couple of big takeaways, I think, from this game, for myself at least. Uh, the Rams are legitimately good. Like, I, I do think they're a good team. I think this is by far Sean McVay's best coaching job. If they win this game, right, they are – then they jump ahead to being sole possession of second – or I guess they do have sole possession of second place right now in the division because they beat the Seahawks twice. Um, but they would have a full game – advantage over the Seahawks as well, who have to play the Eagles and and have a tough finishing schedule on their own. Um, but this was impressive, man. And and what Sean McVay's been able to do here with this Rams team, getting the most out of them and getting the full juice of the squeeze it is really remarkable because you look across that offensive line, there's not a lot of talent. You look across that defense outside of Aaron Donald, there's not a lot of talent. And yet this team has not – I mean, I, I – I guess when they played the the Niners was like really the only time we've seen them get blown out this year. And even still the week two, they played the Niners. They only lost by a touchdown uh, though. I think that was a garbage time touchdown. So I, I, I think that score looks closer than how the game actually went. Yeah. Uh, and, they, I mean, the first half was really close. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And, and that was the game they like they figured out a game plan to just get the ball out of Stafford's hand. That was one of the first like resurgence of uh of Pukunakua. We were like, oh, this dude's legit. And he's yeah. catching balls like six yards deep and like oh well the catch he made the catch he the made in this game too. The the diving catch oh, over near the sideline. The bare hand the bare, the bare hands, hands in the, the rain tape. with the fucking tape on his thing. Oh, that was a thing of beauty. I mean, I know you. I know you hate the Rams, but like, you at least kind of have to like Puka, right? Like, yeah, it's I respect it. Yeah, I, I do. I, I do because that dude goes out and balls every day, and and so does Cooper Cup. Like, yeah. and then he gets double teamed, and then uh, has games like this where he's like, "No, I'm just better than whatever you're throwing at me, and I'm gonna leap up and over you and and make a, a windmill dunk type of catch, um, and, and then get loose in the end zone." And go go off for eight one fifteen and a touchdown like he does well, and, that and, that's, and Stafford, that's the same style that Puka does yeah and and they're really great compliments for each other right and I we talked Vito and I he brought it up on the pod or asked me about it on the pod a couple of weeks ago and I said it, it it does remind me a lot of when they had Robert Wood like young Robert Woods young Cooper Cup because it was like they could just switch them out interchangeably right it wasn't like you know a team like Seattle or a team like the Eagles where you're like hey AJ Brown. A.J. Brown runs four routes, right? He can run go, he can run quick slant, he can run a deep crosser, and, you know, that's that's pretty much it, like when, what you're getting, right? DK is the same way, but it's the big, overpowering, physical freak wide receiver, and then the other side you have, you know, Devontae Smith, who can run a million routes, catches everything. Tyler Lockett runs a million routes, can catch everything. This style of offense, and it's not too dissimilar to what your Niners do too, Scotty, with their two you know, wide receivers, yeah. is that they're all they're completely interchangeable. So when you can you can flip a play like I think I used that analogy last week when I was talking about it like Madden where you can just flip the play backwards and and run the same thing just to the other side and it doesn't hurt you at all because you're you have guys who can do everything and Puka and not to say Puka is necessarily to the level of a wide receiver who you know had a triple crown but he has been yeah. playing at that level I mean and- he's a thousand yard receiver as a rookie he's pretty damn fucking good especially on a team that's six and seven like he's been playing really really high level football. And it just frees them up to really run. And and the big thing is, too, and I think the most important piece of this offense is having Kyron Williams. Yeah, like Kyron, Kyron Williams might might be the best pass blocking running back in the NFL, which he was great at at Notre Dame. But he's also just reliable. Right. He's, he's not necessarily like Todd Gurley, who's busting off big runs, you know, but he he's just constantly moving the change. He's not going to win. I heard Pete Peter Schrager talk about this, and he's like, he's he's not a guy who's going to break an open tackle and be an open field, and no one's going to catch him, right? You know, it's it's like he, he's not going to break off the seventy yard run that Christian McCaffrey broke off on the first play against Seattle here, right? It's like he'll break off a thirty or forty yard run every once in a while, but what he's so good at is he's great catching the ball of the backfield. He's fantastic in pass blocking, which this Rams team needs to be able to throw the football because their offensive line isn't that great and they don't have any really good blocking tight ends. And so having a running back who is really advantageous, like I saw him put a hit on uh, Owe, your old, uh, the old Penn State player, and and knock him to the ground. I saw him chip uh, Jadavian Clowney and knock him to the ground this game. He picks up blitzers when they send Roquan Smith, Patrick Queen in on the delayed blitz from that inside linebacker spot. I saw him picking those up, right? And that gives Stafford that extra second just to let the routes fully develop. And then boom, it, the ball's out of his hand. But the thing that really keeps this, this Rams team so dangerous, which is 
very unique, it feels like, in, in what the NFL season has been right now, has been that they have a quarterback who's really fucking good. Like Stafford, I don't think he's peak Stafford anymore, but he still shows these moments where it's like that throw to Puka Nakua, right? Puka made an unbelievable catch. And I forget who was doing the broadcast. I think it was Adam Amin and, uh, and whoever's with uh, Mark Schlereth, maybe, or whoever's with Adam Adam uh, Amin from, from Fox. But they they showed the throw, right? And it was like, he said on the broad, it might've been Schlereth. He was like, don't don't overthink. He's like, don't run. That's an incredible catch by Puka. And that's where everyone's going to talk about. It. He's like, but this throw from Stafford is absurd. And Stafford still has the ability to throw some of these like unreal next level type of throws. That touchdown pass he threw to Cooper Cup, that little floaty flate. Oh, he's got the mic. Oh, he's got the, the anticipation on that play too was just like, I mean, the air is like, if you have the trust in guys like Cooper and Puka to catch the ball, like you can just do that, throw the ball yeah. up to you, a spot, you know, that they're going to be at. And, and, and that is a rare commodity in the NFL. It is. But also like, I think, you know, that could have been two, two at well, and he would have caught it. Right. Like it, it could have been, you know, your fourth string. It could I, who was the guy who was out there catching passes for him? Who I was like, he's still in the league. Demarcus Robinson. I was like, Oh shit. Demarcus Robinson's still in the NFL. I didn't realize that, but he just, at the time Stafford threw that ball, I thought he was throwing it away. And then all of a sudden I'm like, wait, the play's still developing. He he threw it from the 15 yard line, but he put, mm-hmm. he threw this Backwards. little flick. It was almost like a flop shot, like in golf. Yeah. Yeah. But he, but he like, did it with just his like little flick of the wrist and it just floated up there and he put it right in the bread basket. I'm like, I don't know if like Mahomes, like Mahomes can do anything. Josh Allen can do anything like these guys can, but right now in the NFL, like they could learn how to do it. Right now in the NFL, like I think Matt Stafford might be the only dude who has that throw in his arsenal. He did a submarine. Uh, did you? <laughs> I, I'm just saying, like that little because it wasn't a normal fade route. Like his arm angle was so weird on the release. Yeah. I went back and found it and rewatched it, and like I still couldn't quite figure out what he did. But it was like he like pulled his elbow down and like almost like flicked this thing like you're throwing like a like a four-handed frisbee, frisbee like a frisbee throw. Yeah. He kind of like did that with the ball and it just like flipped out and it just floated and it was in the air for so like I think Cooper Cup was like directly in front of him when he threw the ball or at least like it was like above the left tackle when he threw it and that ball was in the air for like two full seconds but it only traveled like ten or like traveled like twenty yards. It was just like one of the weirdest throws I've ever seen. I would have loved to see like a a, t- a non TV broadcast angle where you could follow the ball the whole time because it was a really special throw. He also had a submarine throw. Did you see that? Yeah. Which was like, it, it, like the ball like rose and it almost he almost completed it too. Um, but Stafford and again going back to the point I was making, which is that like the Rams have something that very few other teams have right now in the NFL, and that is a really good healthy quarterback. <laughs> You know, like, like yeah. when you're looking at teams that are in the postseason, right? If I pull up like the 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 playoff standings as as we sit right now, the amount of teams that have a backup quarterback in is is ridiculous, right? So Cleveland is on their fourth quarterback. Pittsburgh's on a backup quarterback. Indy's on a yeah. backup quarterback. Houston's now going to be on a backup quarterback. Since like he's on a backup quarterback, that's just that's five. That's just in the AFC, and those are all teams that are seven and six. The yeah. NFC. Uh, is a is a little bit better, but you look at Minnesota's on a backup quarterback, right? Yeah. Um, Seattle had to play Drew Locke in this game. They're on a backup quarterback, uh, and then the rest of the uh, luckily the rest of the NFC is healthy at the quarterback position. 
But it does put, I, I think at least, the Rams in a very advantageous situation where I think this Rams team is one of the best 14 teams in the NFL. And I think they're better than Minnesota. I think they're as good as Green Bay. And I think if you're looking at the NFC, like if you pick the seven teams you want in the NFC, it's in the playoffs, it's the Niners, Cowboys, Lions, Eagles, whoever wins the NFC South, which is none of those teams, but one yeah. of them has to be in, right? <laughs> and then I would say the Packers and the Rams. Like I don't, That's, I don't. Yeah, I would, I would say I don't know about best fourteen in the NFL. They might be just outside of that for me, but they're definitely one of the best seven teams in the NFC right now, for sure. But I just like I'm looking I mean, at this, whoever's going to win the South. They, they've they've had two bad games this season, right? Like th- that's really it. Like, they lost by seven to the Niners. They lost by three to the the Bengals. They lost by seven or they lost by nine to the Eagles. But they played really well against the Eagles in that game. They lost by a touchdown to Pittsburgh. They got they, so basically all these are one score games or at least right around one score. They lost by twenty three to the Cowboys, which was a bad loss, and then they lost by seventeen to the Packers. Outside of those two games, though, every single game that the the Rams have played, they've either won or been in till the very end of the game. And I I think there's something to be said about that, especially considering when we were coming into the season, like we were looking at this roster, like, well, I don't know how this team's going to be able to do anything or yeah. how Matt Stafford's going to be able to do anything because of the the injuries that are just loaded across this entire, you know, this entire team. Um but we should also talk about the Ravens because the Ravens did win this football game. Yes. Um, I thought it was Lamar Jackson's best game of the year. Um, I Most thought it complete, was complete, you'd say? Yes. But I, what I will say is they're 10 and 3. They can run the ball. Um, Lamar throwing the football, I still think is a problem. Um, that's, yeah, that's that's what what I took away. Was I mean, like if you get to a, a drive with two minutes to go in a in a big game. I'm talking like you know we they play the Niners in a couple of weeks, um, uh, the, the Jaguars in two weeks, uh, the Dolphins. One of those three games, if you have to boil it down to a, a two minute drive and putting ball in Lamar's to throw it, and you do that consistently, right? Otherwise, we're going to have the same question marks that we do for uh, for another bird team in the Northeast, uh, in the Mid-Atlantic. Um, but, you know, I, I think that there's something to be said about his game management and his ability to to control how they, they are able to, to move the ball late in the game and how they can score. And typically that's been with his legs. I think he did a better job of it this week, getting the ball uh, on big plays to that touchdown. He threw to Zay Flowers, in the end, um, for example. So... Uh, you know, I, I I just need to see more consistency with him throwing the ball. I think a little bit in those situations to uh, to be like, oh shit, these guys are, are world leaders right now. You no, and yeah, no, and I I completely agree with you, Scotty. I um the one thing that I think is different is and the Rams did a I thought had a really really impressive game plan coming into this game for how they were going to handle the Baltimore Ravens and a huge part of that was like they came in they committed to the run right they had these long sustaining drives where it was just hey we're going to let our big guys up front go downhill we're going to establish like a, at least a fight at the line of scrimmage 
to make sure that like, hey, we can move the ball. And it felt like every time they gave the ball to Kyron Williams, he was picking up, you know, four or five yards a carry. He finished 25 carries for 115 yards. You know, again, so it's, you're averaging about four and a half yards a carry, give or take a couple, right? Like it's right in that four and a half, 4.2 to four and a half yards per carry. He never had to run longer than 14 yards, right? It was just this consistent chipping away. And the Baltimore Ravens defense, to their credit, they bent, right? But they didn't break. The rest of the season, this Ravens defense has been phenomenal. They're the number three ranked defense in football behind the Niners and the Jets, statistically anyway, like yeah. how it's graded out on on um, on PFF. And I think that feels about right, right? So it's like the reason that I'm cons- – like I feel like the Ravens offense is in a pretty similar spot to the Eagles, right? You mentioned the other bird yeah. team in the Mid-Atlantic. The major difference to me between these two teams is that the Ravens have a really fucking good defense. Like they're nasty. They play physically. They make, they create turnovers. They've been really good in the secondary. Marlon Humphrey had a rough day, but you're going up against two really good wide receivers. That's going to happen. It's going to be big though. Yeah. And he came back into the game at one point and then came out yeah. again. I, I don't know. MCL exactly. though. So, I mean, he's pretty, he might be on the shelf for a couple of weeks. It was a we'll sprained see. MCL. I, I didn't see yeah. the report when it, okay. So, you probably won't have him at least for the rest of the regular season, but you expect him to be back come postseason. Uh, the the Ravens and Niners have a big game coming up in a couple of weeks, and and that's going to be, I think, Christmas Day. Well, yeah, that's going to be a huge game, and ironically, what determines uh, both conferences, right? Because I think going into that game, we're expecting that to be the one seed in both conferences. Whoever loses there could end potentially end up losing their spot as the number one seed because of that. Um, and I, I again, I, I feel better about the Niners going to that game. To me, though, it's like the Ravens have done a really good job all year of running the football. And the Rams came into this game and did a really good job stopping the run, right? And outside of Lamar Jackson had 70 yards on the ground. Outside of Lamar Jackson, they held the the Ravens to 69 yards of rushing. Nice. Um, and and Keaton Mitchell had nine carries, 54 yards. He had one 27-yard run. So, again, you take that out. And they pretty much shut down the run game of what has been the number one rushing offense in all of football. And this is where Lamar does make a difference, which is that nobody picks up yards better than Lamar Jackson, right? If they go, hey, we're going to have to have Lamar drop back 43 times and sling it in this game. I mean, he actually, I mean, I don't know how many designed runs they had, but he had 11 carries for 70 yards. He had 43 attempts. I don't know, man. I'd say, I'd say probably seven or eight of those carries were. Him dropping back, nothing's open. Move the pocket and then and then take off. That's kind of how I feel. So I, yeah. it feels like they they had Lamar drop back close to fifty times in this game, but Lamar's so dangerous and just elusive and just he feels like he's doing nothing and not running fast, but he still just you can't bring him down. This was the first game I felt like I was watching and I was like, that's the the Lamar Jackson MVP, right? Like that's the guy who you're just like, how the fuck is he doing this? And these are the numbers that you typically associate with those kinds of games from Lamar. But when you're going to make him throw the ball 43 times, he only had 24 completions. And yes, he hit on the deep balls to Isaiah Likely and to Odell Beckham, right? Every single deep ball he threw was completely underthrown. His interception was a deep ball attempt that he underthrew, right? It's like he's that we've talked about that throughout the season. He's not connecting on the deep shots. And so when they're there, he's either been overthrowing them, or in this case, yesterday, he was underthrowing them. It still worked out. They still got two touchdowns out of it, the OBJ one and the uh, the, the Isaiah Likely one. But really, the Rams were like two busted coverages away 
from winning this game by like two touchdowns or at least a touchdown In regulation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but they had those two really, really bad busted coverages. And then again, the two minute drill, it was a third and 17. I believe it was right. And I'd say flower somehow finds a way to get open. And that ended up being a really, really big play for them too, as he gets into the end zone to, for them to take the lead. Yeah. And then the, the Rams go down, kick the field goal goes into overtime. The Rams, I I really do feel like from watching the first four quarters of that game, I was like, the Rams are the better football team. Like, they outplayed them, you know. But the Ravens are a super resilient team with a really, really good defense. They're really well coached. And they they have enough talent that I think they're not the most talented roster in football, right? They're not the Niners. They're not even the Eagles or Cowboys, which I think have more talent on the roster but they are significantly better coached than the Cowboys and the Eagles, I think. And I think that plus the level of physicality that a John Harbaugh led team typically comes in with has kind of set them apart. And I I do think that they are the, I think they deserve to be the best team in the AFC. Now they also have a huge game against the dolphins coming up. uh, And and that that, they got a a little gauntlet of their own, right? Yeah. At Jags at Niners dolphins and Steelers at the end. And that there's one weakness I think you can point out in this Ravens defense. It's that if you can be successful, if you have really dynamic wide receivers who can get open, you can get open on Marlon Humphrey, right? Like Marlon Humphrey has been an awesome player in the NFL. He's not the guy that, you know, he used to be, right? He's, he's, he's a step below that. He's still a really, really good player. Similar to Darius Slay, similar to James Bradbury, similar to a lot of those aging cornerbacks. They're still really good. But when you have a Tyreek Hill and you have a Jalen Waddle and you have these explosive guys who know how to get open and you're causing this misdirection, right? Mike McDaniel comes from the same tree that Sean McVay does and and Kyle Shanahan, like the the Dolphins are going to look at this game tape and be like, hey, what can we take from this game to see how the Rams were able to move the football? And I think they're going to be able to. Um, But I think that's that game is that that's not next week, right? It's two weeks. Who? The, the, I'll pull up the Ravens schedule now. The Ravens Dolphins game. It's uh, three weeks. It's three at weeks. Jaguars uh, next week at Niners Christmas Day, oh. um, and then Dolph. Uh, they got Dolphins the Dolphins and at Steelers home on uh, on New Year's Eve. Yeah, and then they have the Steelers the week after that. Who the Steelers just always seem to have their number. Yeah, I mean that's a tough, that's a tough schedule, man. Yeah. Um, the one plus is that you do have Miami coming to you on on New Year's Eve. Uh, but and I think that, they that's have those help. receivers that you just talked about that can get yeah. open like at any time. But the Dolphins on the speed. road have also struggled a little bit, right? That game in Philly, the environment, yeah. the cold weather. Um, that'll be a big game to see how Miami shows up there. Uh, but even, hey, even Jacksonville, right? Jacksonville's on a bit of a two game, two games in a row now. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, right now, I think the way Baltimore is winning games, I, I wanted to see more of the like downfield shots that we saw out of Lamar Jackson in this game. And I'm glad we saw them because it was like, okay, this is what this offense can be or has potential to kind of build up to. But even when they did it, especially without Mark Andrews, it still felt eh, like it's still not all the pieces are there on offense, but that defense is so good. They're so well coached. I'm having a hard time figuring out what to say about the Ravens, other than I think they're a really good football team. And I think they're super gritty and super physical. And I think they're going to be a bitch for any team to play with. Um, 
And I honestly, I love watching them play. I, I, I've kind of turned a 180 from how I felt in the beginning of the season, which was like, what <laughs> I thought, I thought this Munkin offense was going to unleash Lamar in a new way. Why is, why is he putting up pedestrian stats with really high efficiency? I was expecting like MVP Lamar to come out. Well, that's not, and that's not fair, what it was. Every, every time that conversation got brought up is when you'd see the game where Lamar goes like 11 for 26 passing with a, 170 yards and and he led the leads the team in rushing with 65 yards and you're like i don't understand this team like at all and they would have three <laughs> rushing touchdowns but they'd all be to like three gus two edwards, would be to gus three, edwards one, one would be keaton mitchell yeah it's like yeah. none of them would actually go to the to lamar yeah as as a yeah. guy who had him in fantasy i think this is the first game all season he's had over 30 points in a fantasy game uh so i'll i'll take that i'll take that uh, but that game was definitely the lead here. Uh, I'll ask you, Scotty, where do you want to go next from the early games on Sunday? What was the, what uh, was the the result that you that surprised you the most, or the thing that shocked you the most, or you're most excited to come in and talk about today? I, I think I was going to go with the uh, uh, either the Browns Jaguars or the Tampa Bay Falcons game because that was a hell of a, a way to end that game uh, in in uh, Atlanta. Yeah, well, let's do Browns Jags. Um, because this game, this game has a lot of significance, right? Because now you look at Browns win; they're eight, they're eight and five. Jags are eight and five. Jags have lost two in a row right now, uh, and and the Jags just seemingly couldn't get out of their way. Couldn't believe how good Trevor Lawrence looked uh, running on that high ankle sprain, yeah. especially after the way he looked on Monday night. I saw a funny tweet oh, that was like, "Because he walked off." Exactly, yeah, because he was yeah. so tough. That's why he's just gritted out. Uh, I saw a funny tweet that was like, "How like how." is Trevor Lawrence doing this after, or how is he not feeling pain in his ankle after what happened on Monday night? And someone quote tweeted it and said, uh, and he goes, dude, he couldn't even feel it. If you smashed his knee with a baseball bat right now, (laughs) like, yeah, not a chance. Yeah. I mean, he had so much, a lot of cortisone. That's how Yeah, cortisone (laughs) and Toradol just shot into that fucking ankle. Um, But he looked spry as hell. Um, And yet, I feel like some of the same mistakes and issues we saw from the Jags earlier in the season have kind of crept back a little bit. Uh, it just it just kind of feels like Tre- Trevor Lawrence has all this talent in the world, and there's sometimes when I'm watching him play that he feels like a puppy. Like you ever go to your friend's house and they have a new dog and they're just they're adorable and cute and you want to be its friend. You're like, I love you, dog. You're amazing. But they just can't seem to ever settle down. And you're like, it's okay. Just like, come up, just hey, sit. It'll be okay. We'll get out of their just, own way. <laughs> yeah, don't. Yeah, just don't jump. It's okay. You know, it's it's fine. Just sit right there. You'll be good. I'll I'll come down to you. I'll pet you. Just stay calm a little bit. That's how I feel about Trevor Lawrence. Like, he has everything you want out of a out of a quarterback. He's tall, strong, fast, athletic, smart, great face of the franchise. He can process. Great face. He's, period. Yeah, he's got great hair. Like, he's got everything you want. <laughs> out of like a quarterback, like on paper. And it's just, he gets in these games. Like he threw, there was one play where he was, he broke out of the, uh, out of the pocket. He's rolling to his left linebacker comes to try to hit him. And he's got Zay Jones, like wide open. And it was like a third and three. And Zay Jones is like wide open, just like five yards away from him out in the flat. And he throws it like 40 miles an hour, right at, at Zay Jones. And Zay Jones has to be like, Oh shit. Like, Dude, like he lasered it from like, yeah, it's like, dude, just flick it. Just boom. I'm right here. We're good. But he threw it so hard. And and amazingly, Zay Jones caught it. 
but it just feels like he's just gets it's just a little excitement, right? And then he makes the throws that you're like, holy fuck, dude. Like, this is why you yeah. were such a generational type player. Uh, and this is why you were so good in college. Like, you, you see the moments with him that are wow worthy. But in this game, it felt like every time he they kind of got up to that level, you know, they just couldn't get out of their own way to the way you put it, Scotty. And um, and the Browns, on the other hand, Joe Flacco. I mean, Flacco's what, good, man. He's signed he's the man to a full time contract. You know, he, he already has more career games with the Browns of 250 passing yards and two touchdowns. More he has more career games with the Browns of 250 yards passing with two touch with multiple touchdown passes than Deshaun Watson. And yet and he's played two he's, games. He's making 230 more million more dollars than Joe Flacco. Yeah. Uh I I honestly like this makes me like the Browns. I like the Joe Flacco experience. I love the mm-hmm. defense. I love Jim Schwartz. I love Miles Garrett. I love Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa. We talked about him, that draft class, and I told you guys I loved him coming out, right? Mm-hmm. Dude's a freaking monster. Grant Delpit, I loved coming out of LSU, right? He just signed an extension on Sunday morning, three years, $36 million at that safety position, and he flies around the field making a million plays, the Browns have the pieces together and all they needed was competent quarterback play. Right. And the one thing yeah, that you I, can get out of Joe Flacco is he's not going to make mistakes. If the throw's not there, he's going to throw it away, which means that, Hey, you're going to let your defense continually keep you in this game because you know, Joe Flacco is not going to fuck you by throwing a, a terrible interception. He can still stretch the field. He sees little things, right? He, there was a, the, the big third down conversion that essentially like iced the game away that got them either in the field goal, but yeah, I think it was the field goal that they kicked to, to make it a two score game. He, it was a third and short. They send an all out blitz up the middle and he sees where the pressure is coming from. And he takes two steps to his right in the pocket just to give the wide receiver enough time to cross over the middle dunks it right off, right to the wide receiver, first down field goals, you know, field goal range, pick up a couple more yards, kick the field goal. It's a 10 point game. And at that point you feel really good. Hey, you know, we're, we're probably going to end up winning this game. Of course, the Jags go down. They score the touchdown. They try to keep it close from there. Um, but I was just all in all, I was really impressed uh, by what we've seen out of Joe Joe Flacco yeah. and this Browns team. And, well, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see dude, where it you, goes moving forward. You called it, man. You you said this was a spot where you can be kind of vintage and have some of those, uh, some of those deep shots. Those, like, and he had two of them, right? I mean, it, the touchdowns to Njoku. Um, and then he had a, another big one on a touchdown to, to uh, David Bell. Um, yeah, I'm I'm really impressed too, right? And and then uh, if they keep rolling with that, they're not out of it by any means. No, um, you know. Um, so so we'll see if that offense can can uh, keep it together on defense. I, this is what they do. They stuff you in the running game. They did it against the Niners in a big win. Then they st- Chris McCaffrey had. Uh, Less than 100 yards in that game rushing, which is an anomaly this year. This Jaguars team works best when you can run the football and then open up everything. Now, of course, it was harder to throw the ball because they're down Christian Kirk um, this week. So so limited pass catches. Zay Jones was uh, has been a shell of himself um, from that from that big productive year he had uh, last year. Uh and Calvin Ridley has been almost non-existent in this offense for, for the it's better so, part of the last like six and weeks. And it's so weird because it's like he's he's boom or bust. Like he makes one huge play every single week. 
but they have not found a way to consistently get him the ball to get him in rhythm with Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. And it, it it's like, you're like, Hey, let's, let's keep running the Calvin Ridley plays. Like, Hey, get the ball in his hands. Like you don't have to force it necessarily, but let's scheme some stuff up because there's no question. Calvin Ridley is your best receiving option right now. Evan Ingram's been awesome for them. Yeah. Incredible. The last Revitalized his career after he looked like a bust with the, uh, with the New York giants. He's now become a, a really, really good football player for the Jaguars. He's catching you know, one-handed catches and touchdown catches all around the field doing a bunch of different things. But th- there does seem to be like an ounce of dysfunction with this Jags team, which was the fight that me and Vito got in a few weeks ago about this, which is like, I'm not saying the Jags aren't a good football team. It's just something is a little off with them. And I still feel like that's true. I still feel like the Jags are a really, really good football team. They have a ton of talent. They're young, so they're still learning. Yes, they had the playoff win last year, but that game was crazy, right? And it still feels like they're kind of on this trajectory of like, hey, like we're trying to figure it out. We're trying to to learn a little bit about like what we are as a football team. Um, I'll say this: like I, I still they got a lot of help this week, right? Because if the Colts win. I think the Colts would have moved into first place, right? If the uh, if the if the Texans had won, I think the Texans might have had might have moved into first place, um, or at least they would all have the same record, right? If if the Jags lo- yeah. had lost this game, the Colts and Texans won, then all of a sudden, boom, we got a tie ball game across the board there for first place in the AFC South. The Jags still hold on to a one to a one game lead now because both the Colts and Texans lost. Uh, but they, they need to figure this out. And it's good to see that Trevor Lawrence was as mobile and, um, you know, was at least able to go out in the field. I'm sure he was in a ton of pain medicine and everything, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. And now you look at the Browns and it's like, Hey, the Browns, their defense is as good as anybody in football when, when they're on, right. They're still like, again, they gave up 27 points in this game. So I think those, those early season stats were like, this is the best defense since the 85 bears, which happens every single season. There's always a team that plays really good defense in the first five weeks. And we're like, is this the best defense since the 85 Bears? No, they're not. Um, But they are really, really fucking good. And they have legitimate Zedaria Smith and Miles Garrett wreak havoc. And and Trevor Lawrence just could never get into rhythm in this game. And I think like that win they had against the Niners was a great example of that, where it was like, hey, we we can do a good job slowing down the running game, right? And then we can, no matter who we're playing, no matter what the offensive line is, we're going to cause problems because there's not a single offensive lineman in football and except for a fully healthy Trent Williams who can really go toe-to-toe with Miles Garrett. And even still, yeah. like that's... Even then, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's still going to get home a couple of times. He's still going to be disruptive. And then on the other side, you still have, uh, you know, Zadarius Smith and you have Sheldon Rankins. You have guys in that D-line who are who are causing issues. Um, and, of course, Jim Schwartz likes to be aggressive, likes to send pressure. And so if, you, if you're too worried about stopping Miles Garrett, but then, hell, by the way, you're also getting blitzed, you're going to make a lot of quarterbacks uncomfortable. The question is, how long can Joe Flacco do this? Because it seems like we've had so many backup quarterbacks come in in the NFL this year that we're like, we've, we've seen have flashes and moments, Josh Dobbs and Aiden O'Connell, and these guys have looked good at different moments who have all started to fade off, right? How long can Joe Flacco just continue to, to just manage the game and, uh, and huge credit to Kevin Stefanski because there were uh, both uh, the first two in Joko and Juke. Oh, Jesus Christ, David and Joke and Juko. Why can't I say it? Joku and Joku. Thank you. Um, the first two in Joku touchdowns 
were just phenomenal play design. Like yeah. brilliant Kevin Stefanski play design. Uh, and I don't know how many of those he's got up his sleeve, but that's a creative offense that's working within the structure of very simple stuff, right? It's under center. It's run the ball first. It's it's established the ground game. And then let's get creative with what we're doing with our route concepts in the back end. And the, the more they do that, the better they're going to be. Uh, the other game that you mentioned there was the Bucks falcons game. And this game was awesome. Came down to Baker Mayfield, last-minute drive, takes them down the field, two minutes, beautiful touchdown pass to Otten in the back left corner of the end zone. Um, I still can't believe the Falcons lost this game. Uh, you know, again, Ritter wasn't lights out by any means, right? But for his standards, it was probably the best game he's played, all right? 26 of 40 for 347 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Um, they, for the first time this year, felt like the, the Falcons really couldn't get anything going on the ground, but Drake London, 10 catches, 172 yards, his best game as a pro. They actually were able to get Kyle Pitts involved a little bit. Uh, he had the big touchdown catch there, which was huge. Um, they used Bijan in the passing game, but, uh, Ben Solak made a really good point. And it, it seems as though that one of the big issues with this Falcons team is the, the chemistry between him and his wide receivers just is always off, right? It's, you know, that wide open pass to the flat that he meant to throw the ball to uh, Bijan Robinson, right? Bijan thought he was going to be in one place. Desmond Ritter thought he was supposed to be in another place. They're off center on it. It's not a great throw. It gets, you know, overthrown. They end up, I think, settling for a field goal on that drive. Uh, you also have Young Way Koo, Young Way Koo, who had uh, two misses in this game, which is very much unlike him. One for three. Uh, he he actually had just taken over the record, and everyone was talking about this on, on social media, but he had just taken over the record for the highest field goal percentage of all time from Justin Tucker. And then he immediately gave it back after this game because of the two misses here. Now, look, one of them was from 50. It was a tough kick. The other one was like from 48. They weren't necessarily easy kicks, but they're ones that you expect a guy like him to make. Um, but the Bucks just hung around, just consistently hung around. Yep. And ultimately, like this, it, this was a fun football game to watch, but I don't think there needs to be too much time spent on either one of these teams. I, I you no, know, they're no, it's the I mean, NFC look, South, right? It's just this is this is what the NFC South is right now. It's it's hard for me when you're playing at home in a game that will give you control of the division that you give up only 290 total yards and you give up you get one takeaway in this game as well on defense and somehow Baker Mayfield puts that team on his back for the Bucks and ends up beating that that Atlanta Falcons team I I just thought that was a masterful drive uh last two drives really uh the one to get him down to uh to get the field goal with six to go and then the the of course the final one um, uh, where they where they ended up scoring the game winning touchdown, I that was vintage Baker man. That's just that's what he does. Um, and he's done it a couple of times, a handful of times really in his NFL career. Um, and he did it again to to put the Bucks in first place as predicted yeah. by Vito. If you were to pick one quarterback in the NFL right now to be a like the next Trent Dilfer, Nick Foles. You know, name your quarterback who you're like, that guy won a Super Bowl. 
you know, but just always had a knack for coming up with big, big moments randomly in big games, even though their whole career was always kind of like a little hit or miss. Right. Like, yeah. Joe, Joe Flacco. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I was was like, I know I'm missing a third one. Yeah. Flacco. It's Baker. Like Baker will never be the dude who's the best quarterback on a, on a 12 win team and, and the number one seed in the NFC or the AFC. But if he is a, you know, hey, we signed this guy as a backup or, you know, hey, you know, came in, our quarterback got hurt, you know, like similar to a Nick Foles situation, we bring this guy in. I could absolutely see Baker Mayfield winning a Super Bowl one day, but only in that context. It's never going to be like, hey, Baker Mayfield had an MVP season and now, you know, he's going to go on to to, to win the Super Bowl. Like, it's never going to be that. But because he just he has these these moments where you're like, yes, this is the guy who was drafted number one overall. He just he has the moxie. He has the confidence. He's a he's a locker room dude. Like everyone loves Baker and the media loved to shit on Baker during his time in Cleveland. You know, you're Colin Cowherds and your other guys when he was coming out. And look, he was a bit of a shithead in college. We all were right. Like I never held that against Baker because what I saw from Baker was like I saw these moments we saw him in the playoff game against the Steelers, right? We, we've seen him in big moments and big games show out when they need him to. Yeah. And in this case, and it was, hey, two-minute drive, go down, win this game, and you put your team in the driver's seat for the NFC South to make the postseason. The biggest yeah. moment, the biggest, by far the biggest moment of the Bucks season <laughs> was the start of that drive. And he executed yep. it flawlessly. So I... It, just give him, give him the rock. That's all yeah. he wants. Like I, I will always, always root for Baker just because I just, I like the dude. I just do. I I think he's, I think he's a really likable, good player and not everyone will agree with me. And that's fair. Um, Part of it's the commercials. Part of it's the, the, you know, the grab and the crotch at the, you know, at the can at the 50 yard line of the Kansas game. Uh, which recently I found out one of my really good friends who I used to work with on ESPNU was uh, he does the radio sideline stuff for um, Oklahoma. He's in that video. He's you can see him standing at midfield right next to the referees. So like in that famous video where Baker's like grabbing his crotch, you know, against the Kansas half, was it his crotch or no, it was, they snubbed him on the handshake and he starts laughing and crying. And then, from the sideline, he grabs his crotch later on in the game. You can see my buddy Chris Plank sitting there. He was actually a friend of the pod. He was on the show, um, which just geeked me out. I was like, "How did I never know that?" It's like I worked with you for like four years, and I that that never. I was I was working with you when that happened. You know, uh, oh yeah. No, actually, I wasn't. That was the year before we worked together. Yeah, either way, small tangent. We're known to do that on this pod. Uh, but either way, yeah, the Bucks are now in the driver's seat for the NFC South. I still think the Falcons are the best team. Um, You know, like I'll put it this way. If Baker Mayfield was the quarterback of the Falcons, the Falcons, I think the Falcons, I think would probably be like an eight or nine win team. Right. I'd say, I'd say they'd be eight and five right now. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm with you. The Falcons have a really good defense and I, I, the skill guys there are, you know, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, they're great. Rashad white, even as a nice player. But with those weapons that you have in Atlanta, I, I really do feel like if Baker was the quarterback there, this team would be eight and five, at least seven and six. You know, I think there would at least be one team in the NFC South with a winning record right now. But uh, I think he's good for at least a one, maybe two game swing over Desmond Ritter. 
Uh, the, the next biggest game, I think we have to hit on the rest of them were, you know, uh, impactful to some degree, but not necessarily the best games in the world. Uh, Bears 28, Lions 13. I don't know if this is similar to like the Eagles commanders thing where the commanders just seem to play well against them. Um, divisional rivalry kind of thing. And Justin Fields has played really well against the Lions in both, both games this year. But I kind of lean more towards, I think this is an actual problem with the Lions, right? Like I, I, and I do believe in the psychology that when you're going in and you're playing a team that say has two losses, you know, like the Lions who were eight and two going into that game on Thanksgiving against the, um, the Packers and the Packers just absolutely destroyed them. I do feel like other teams then look around the league and go, oh, well, we can beat them. They're not that scary. They're not that good. And I feel like that's kind of what's happened with the Lions here, which is that they have a ton of explosive weapons on the outside, but Jared Goff, for as efficient as he's been, and and I'll say like good, but also just really, really efficient with the football. I do feel like you look at this Lions team and you go like, it's a bunch of young guys, limited experience. They have some explosive players, but now it's like, hey, let's double cover Amon Ross St. Brown. And then, okay, rookie tight end Sam Laporta, he's been awesome. But we can deal. Our you know our safeties can hang with Jaquan Brisker can cover him. We can we can hang with that, you know. And then it's like all right, Jameson Williams, yeah, he's a burner, but dude hasn't been able to stay on the field and he's done nothing in the NFL. He was a first round wide receiver talent. Then it's Josh Reynolds as your third wide receiver. Are you really afraid of that? Like David Montgomery, the Bears know David Montgomery. They know all about David Montgomery, right? Solid player. And that offensive line for the Lions is really really good. But Frank Frank Ragnall, their center banged up in this game. Their whole offensive line's been dealing with injuries throughout different parts of the season. And I start to I'm starting to feel like Dan Campbell's getting a little too cute with some of this shit. You know, I think it was third quarter, they were down 10 and they went for it on fourth and 13. Like that's just something that you you don't need to do that. You know, like you're at the you're at midfield, it's fourth and 13. You take you try to draw them off sides. If they don't draw, because then if they if they jump off sides on fourth and thirteen, all right, fourth and eight, eh, the analytics probably lean in your favor. Maybe you go for this, but it's the third quarter. It's a ten point game. You still have a chance to get back in this game, right? Um, because at that point they were only down, right? Because the Lions were up thirteen to ten at halftime. At that point they were only down six, but they decided to go for it anyway. So they weren't even down a full ten. They were only down six. To me, it's like, hey. Try to draw them off sides. If they jump, great. If not, take the take the delay of game. Push yourself back five yards. Give yourself the space to punt the ball. Pin them back deep. Let your defense go out onto the field. And they also have one of the best punters in football. But let you know, let the defense go back out on the field. Get the ball back, and then go down and score a touchdown. You're in control of that game. Instead, you go for it on fourth and thirteen. You give the ball back at at midfield. The Bears go down. And they score on that next drive. Like there's just, there's little moments where like, I love Dan Campbell. I really do. I love everything about him. I love the energy. He's one of the best figures that we have in pro football. But I feel like with this team, a team that's this young, they're getting a little too cute, a little too like weird with some of their decision-making. Right. And it's, it's, it's almost feels like, again, like they're, they're they just want to make it happen. 
Like, just manifest it and it'll happen, you know? Like, believe that we're going to win and we're going to win this game. It's like, not every game is that way, man. Sometimes just punt the ball, you know? Sometimes just punt the ball, let your defense go back on the field. Because ultimately, like, the biggest flaw of this Lions team is the defense. They're missing their arguably their best defensive lineman. That's no shade to Aiden, Aiden Hutchinson. But their interior, like, their nose tackle is their best defensive lineman on the team right now. You got rookies all over the field on defense making important plays. The secondary is very weak. I, to me, it's like Justin Fields, and all the credit in the world, by the way, Justin Fields. Justin Fields played incredible in this it game. And, he just, out, man. and the Bears' defense is is the big winner to me. I, I thought they played unbelievable, <laughs> right? I mean, they pitched a shut Outside of the second quarter, they pitched a shutout in this game. They gave up 13 points in the second quarter. Other than that, nothing, not it. But I feel like the over-aggressive style of the Lions is starting to shoot themselves in the foot a little bit. And getting back to basics – Right. If you're the team that's, hey, we're going to bite off the other team's kneecaps. You know, I don't care if you have one butt cheek and three toes. We're coming for you. Right. The, the Whatever line he says in uh, from Hard Knocks. It's like if that's how you feel, then pump the ball. Be a be a little old school. Sometimes you can do that and then have your defense go out and do it. But to me, going for it on fourth and, and 10 plus in a game that you're only down six points. To try and what keep, you know go and get a first down, settle for a field goal. The offense isn't really working, but you're going for it. Defense has your number. To me, that says more about his faith in the Lions' defense and the fact that they don't really trust their defense fully than it does anything else. Yeah, and and, and to that point, like that's been the thing that's been letting them down. When Aiden Hutchinson can't get to the quarterback too, that doesn't help at all. Like Justin Fields had all day to scramble around and run around the pocket and and, and let it go. And then that big play um, was the, the, it was the Bears having a fourth and thirteen as well, and it was it was so weird. Even the announcers were like, "What are they doing? Like, why would they even? Why would they go for this? Like, they're they're not up by that much." Um, <clears throat> oh no, it was a tie game at that point. They go for it, and the discipline for them to just jump offside and Fields to be on the spot and and get a free play out of it. Um, after you just tried to draw him offside. And then that was the big touchdown to DJ Moore that put him up 19-13. So, uh, yeah, man, that that kind of stuff has to, to, to go away. And the defense has been sliding so far downhill that it's it's not the team that that we saw that was 8-2 even leading into the Thanksgiving game. And I'll use one of your terms you, you love to use is – I think it's a little bit of regression to the meat, right? Like, yeah, yeah, they're a young team. Yeah, they overperformed, I think, in the first uh, first 10 games of the season even. Yeah, it was great when you could have David Montgomery running for 150 and three touchdowns and then get Jameer Gibbs involved um, slowly but surely. Yeah, it was great when you could get Amon Ross St. Brown with, uh, with 130 yards and two touchdowns. And you'd win every game by a bunch because you're putting up points. Guess what, dude? NFL teams are going to start figuring your offense out. When you need to do that, you need your defense to put their freaking hand in the dirt and go and get after it and make a play. Because I, even the, the worst of NFL teams statistically, and I think the Bears are one of them this year, will beat you because they have skill guys like Justin Fields, because they have skill guys like DJ Moore. Because they understand that if they got you mentally, we can just run the ball, get drive down the field, and take the will out of you. And that's what teams are doing to the Lions right now. 
and uh and I think it's in no small part to to what they're putting out on the on the defensive side. Well, really both sides, but uh, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I I mean I I feel very similar, and and I'll put it this way, and and Lions fans might get mad at me for saying this, but it's it's the truth. Realistically, where have where has this Lions team improved from last year to this year? Right, because this team feels very similar to the team we talked about last year, right? Which was like it was very Jared Goff dependent. And Jared Goff had stretches last year where he was lights out and awesome, right? And they had stretches last year with Jamal Williams in, in the backfield and um who was and and DeAndre Swift in the backfield last year where they they could run the ball really, really well. To me, it's like a, it's a lateral move. Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery compared to DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams. They were pretty similar. I think Jared Goff was actually more dynamic pushing the ball downfield last year than they were this year. The, the only real difference in the wide receiver room from last year, this year was DJ shark is, is DJ shark moving the needle that much. I I'll say this in defense of them. The offensive line has dealt with more injuries this year than they did last year. Yeah. So that might account from it, but the defense isn't really any better. I mean, they, they have better talent, but it's still really young talent the secondary is just as bad as it was last year. Aiden Hutchinson's having kind of like a, just a second rookie year. Like he hasn't taken a big jump in year number two. He's still good. He's still a very productive player. You know, like I, I feel like I remember him coming out of Michigan and me kind of being like, I think the likelihood is like, and this is why I always said like Aiden Hutchinson, I think will be a very good player. I think it's a, a it's a high floor, low ceiling kind of player though. Cause he just didn't have that explosiveness, the strength, that like fuck you edge that you see a lot of these guys who are studs at the end, the, the, the elite edge rushers that we see in the NFL. Like he just didn't have that top level end to him, which is why I had said, like, I don't think you would take him with the first overall pick. He's, he's, he's kind of like Chris long. Like he's like, he's like Chris and not just, Hey, white edge rusher, easy comparison, bro. It's like Chris long. It's like Brandon Graham, right? Brandon Graham was a first round pick. Brandon Graham's an awesome player. He's had an incredible career. He's going to finish with like 88, 80, 88 to 90 something sacks. Like he's going to be a really, really good player. Not a Hall of Famer, good player. And you would take that. The Eagles also drafted Brandon Graham at like 11 overall. You know, like this is the second overall pick in the draft. You're getting a high floor, low ceiling guy. And so far to this point of his career, I thought I was wrong last year with how quickly and dynamic he came out, making plays, changing games, right? He hasn't been doing that this year. He had a couple of moments early in the season. And I get as the season goes on, you get a little bit more banged up, but that hasn't really continued. So yeah. I look at this Lions team and I'm like, what I think has happened is that, and to answer the question that I asked, which is that how is this team better than last year? Or how is this team better than last year? I think they've had more experience winning football games. So I think as a whole, they are better at winning football games. That knowledge of, hey, this is what we need to do. You're a Monroe's. You're you're even like rookies this year. Sam Laporta's right, um, but you're also banking on Jameer Gibbs and Sam Laporta and 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 you know David Montgomery and Jameson Williams, who by all intents and purposes is still a rookie, right? Jack Campbell led the team in, in tackles. Alex Anzalone, like he's a guy that we've all liked, but yet they're still getting cooked in the running game. They're still getting cooked in coverage. There's just a lot of holes in this Lions defense. 
And as a whole, like I do think they've taken a step forward in terms of mentality, winning football games when the offense is humming. It is hard to beat this team because they can be so dynamic. They, they could also be really dynamic last year in moments, right? But the defense is what let them down. I think they are marginally better than they were last year. And last year they were like four or five snaps away from being at a pretty similar record to where they are right now. I do still think they're the best team in the in the NFC North. But what's crazy is like they have two more games against the Vikings. The, the Vikings somehow win a game and they're only now two games behind the Lions. And you look at a team like Green Bay, who if they pull off the win on Monday night against or tonight, that game hasn't started yet. But if they play, if they win that game tonight against the Packers, there are two games behind Green Bay. And I believe I, I got to pull up the line schedule here. Um, but closing out, they have. Sorry, I just zoomed past it. They have the Vikings, games, right? <laughs> yeah, that. Well, yeah. So they have Denver at home this week, and then they are at Minnesota, at Dallas, home against Minnesota. To me, they have to go 3-1 and one to close this out to assure that they win the division. 2-2 two and, two will, pro- uh, two and two will probably yeah. get there as long as you split with Minnesota, but you have to split with Minnesota because, I mean, they're moving forward with Nick Mullins as the starting quarterback. So you, you assume after what we saw from that game with Minnesota this weekend that I don't think we can super – confidently you know say that they're going to be there but then again if we look at uh, i gotta pull up the, the packers schedule here real quick because the packers sitting here at, at six and six right they have giants tampa bay carolina minnesota chicago if they go four and one over these next five last five games i don't know what the tiebreaker would be between them and detroit but if Detroit goes two and two, and including Monday night tonight, and you guys listening will know, but I'm including the Giants game tonight for the Packers, if they go four and one, they'll finish with the same record. So you kind of almost pencil in like, hey, the Lions game is or the Cowboys game is probably a loss for Detroit. So then what comes in after that? Right? If you if you beat yeah. Detroit, all right, you 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 handle that game. Or, and, or if Dallas, sorry, if Dallas beats Detroit and so you lose that game, you need to win three games to assure yourself. Now, again, I don't know exactly what the tie, the tiebreaker would be division first, which I, I think yeah, we've go. got uh, stats and info looking it up. Yeah, let's get Zach Park on it because I'm looking at Green Bay right now because Green Bay beat Chicago. Well, they split, though. They so went one and one against. The... No, they haven't played Chicago <laughs> yet. So they they beat Chicago once. They lost to the Lions, so they're one and one. They lost to Minnesota, one and two. They beat Detroit, two and two. What am I missing there? Chicago, they beat Detroit, they split, and then lost. So two and two in the division right now. Yeah, it's the 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 best uh, win percentage is the uh, is step two within the division, right? Yeah, and then best win percentage in common games is step three. It's not conference? No, conference is four. Interesting. Okay. Oh, that would make sense because I was thinking back to the Eagles because if the Eagles went out, they would, even though they're five right now, they still have to play the Cardinals, which the Cowboys lost to. So that makes sense. Um, but yeah, so right now the, the Packers are two and two. So if the if the Packers beat Minnesota and Chicago in the last two games of the season, 
they'd be four and two. Minnesota, uh, uh, Detroit, I believe, would have the same records. And then it would come down to common opponents. Assuming that the, the Lions don't drop one of those games against. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Against the Minnesota Vikings. So, again, why it's that much more important, because right now the, the Lions have. We're doing this all on the fly here, folks. Just bear with us. Went one and one against Chicago. And then one and one against Green Bay. So yeah, the Lions are two and two. So the Lions have to at least take one from Minnesota. And if they do that, then it would go down to common opponents. And we're not going to figure that out right now on the podcast. But yeah, but even all I'm saying is the NFC North is nowhere near complete. And with the way the Lions have looked over the last couple of weeks and the way the Green Bays looked in the last couple of weeks and Monday night will be a big tell. And they the have Cowboys. to play. Yeah, they have to play Denver, which is not an easy game. They have to play go Dallas, to Dallas, and then they have to play Miami, um, uh, Minnesota twice in three weeks to close out the season. That's crazy. It's a it's a tough, tough stretch. Meanwhile, yeah. Green Bay has a much easier path to the one seed. I I think it's more realistic that the Lions go one in three in these next four games, and they go three and one in the next four games. Oh yeah, I would I would take that. Because I don't know what the line is yet. And here, let's see if we can pull it up here. Is, is the line up yet between, uh, let's see, right now Detroit is a four-point four point favorite according to bet ESPN bet, uh, is a four-point favorite, five. So I knew between four and five-point favorite against uh, at home against the Broncos. I wouldn't be so sure about that, man. That Broncos defense is fucking good. Yeah. Yeah, they are. And with how bad the Lions nasty. defense is, I actually think the Broncos can put up some points against them. So that's going to be that's going to be really interesting. That's going to be really interesting. All right. Yeah. Uh, let's move on from that game. Uh, last two games here, the early window. We'll talk with the AFC South teams. Colts. Bay- well, first off, Saints beat the Panthers. I'm an idiot. I don't know why I picked the Panthers. I'm stupid. Congrats. I'm stupid. You all win. Um, we'll move on because there's nothing else worth talking about from that game. Colts, Bengals, and Jets, Texans. Are the Colts? Are sorry? Are the Bengals going to make the playoffs? I think they could. I think they very well could. Is Jake I mean, Browning, Browning going to take them to the playoffs? That's crazy. He's proven. He's proven that he can win games. I'll say that. <laughs> like, um, and and against teams who who have. A legit shot at the at the playoffs and the Jaguars and the uh and the Colts. Um I, I, I think he he's got a shot. I, I really do, but um there's gonna be four really tough games um coming up. Vikings uh next week and then um the Steelers at the Steelers at the Chiefs, uh both of whom will um and this is crazy to say, potentially be fighting for their playoff lives. Uh and then the Browns to end the season. Um so, you know, I, those divisional games get weird. Um, so you never know what's going to happen. And then uh, Chiefs and Vikings, uh, on top of that, two teams that are trying to make uh, the playoffs, and neither of them have a guaranteed spot yet. I, I think that it's going to be a tough road for them. But, you know, the the way that they've been able to use their running game, the way that they're using Mixon out of the backfield, is that other running back uh, uh, that they have on uh, – Chase Cincinnati, Brown. Chase Brown, who's who's done a, a really good job for them. 
He's been yeah. awesome. And, and and the offensive line's playing better in front of him. The defense is still a work in progress, but has gotten better, I think, uh, over the past few weeks. I think there's a shot that they uh, they can go out and, and, and beat some of these teams that I think they're better a better team than the Vikings right now. I think they're a better team than the Steelers when the when it's all said and done, um, talent wise. So, um, I don't know, man. It, it, it would be a a crazy thing to have happen, um, but you know they keep beating these teams that that are that are in the mix and and have a shot. So, uh, I, I think it would be it would be foolish of us to count to count them out uh, by any means. Um. Yeah, no. Are you familiar with the Ewing theory? I'm not. Patrick? Yes. Um, so this is oh, wow. this is a classic Bill Simmons theory that states when a team loses its best player and the team and the team rallies around the fact that they lost their best player and elevates their own play to essentially play better without the guy that is considered the best player. And this is in reference to the, I believe it was the lockout season that the Knicks lost in the NBA finals. Cause Patrick Ewing got hurt in the playoffs and are at the end of the regular season. And it was, the, it was one of the late nineties, maybe 99 against the Spurs. I don't remember exactly what it was, or maybe they made it to the Eastern conference finals. But it was the furthest that a Patrick Ewing-led Knicks team had ever gone in the postseason, and he wasn't there. Yeah. Right? And so it was this theory <laughs> that the team loses their best player and everyone rallies around, and they're actually better without the player because it elevates everyone else to play at such a higher level, knowing that they have to because they don't have this other guy to fill in the gaps in between, right? right. You could make the argument the Eagles in 2017 are a good example of the Ewing theory. Yeah, but the Eagles sure. were arguably better without Nick Fol without Carson Wentz and with Nick Foles, which that obviously isn't true. But the human reaction to hey, our best player isn't there, so we all need to step up. I think we're we're a little bit into the Ewing theory zone here. All right, which is that Jake Browning, like he's doing everything he needs to do. Okay, and this is not a slight on Jake Browning. Okay, I think. Brock Purdy falls under this category a little bit. Last year, Brock Purdy, 2022 Brock Purdy, right? Not 2023. He's proven himself. He's been awesome. All right, he's still not the MVP, but he's been awesome. Jimmy G goes down. Brock Purdy comes in. Everyone else plays better around him, right? And, and Brock Purdy obviously has not proven, not necessarily you in case, but you could make that argument. Jake Browning is doing the things he needs to do. They're utilizing the weapons he has there, right? The Chase Brown 54-yard screen pass for a touchdown makes Jake Browning's numbers look fucking awesome, right? Yeah. At, at the halfway mark of that game, he or, or halfway through the second quarter, whatever it was, he was like 7 for 7 for 140 yards, a touchdown, no interceptions, and had a perfect passer rating. That's because... He wasn't doing anything. Not that he wasn't doing anything. They made his life a lot easier by setting everything up around him. That being said, we have not seen this Bengals defense play this good in a minute. Like you got to go back to the first half of the season since the Bengals defense looked this good. All right. And so clearly the Bengals defense has, has taken a step up 
and Jake Browning is doing everything he can. Jamar Chase is playing at another level, going after high point balls at, at an even more outrageous clip than he already was, which is hard to say because Jamar Chase is amazing at that. And he's one of my favorite players to watch in the entire NFL. T Higgins, who was non-existent for the first half of the season is out here making big time catches. I, I'm getting a whiff of Ewing theory with this team. And that's not to say that the team's better without Joe Burrow. It's more of the, everyone else is rallying around Jake Browning and saying, Hey, we all need to play our games up because we still have a shot to make the postseason here and make a run. So let's go fucking do this thing. Whereas three weeks ago when Joe Burrow got hurt, we were all sitting here being like, well, the Bengals season is over. At least they're going to get a pretty good first round draft pick, which I would argue in the long term might be better for the organization to have more valuable draft picks while under the in the Joe Burrow era with this massive contract that he just got before the season. But this Bengals team was playing like with their hair on fire. That second half, like the Colts went from, all right, seven, nothing, 14, nothing. All right. Colts came down. They scored a touchdown. Boom. Pick six. Next thing you know, we're tied up at halftime to the Bengals said, not a fucking chance. Are you guys getting back into this game? And absolutely yeah. dominated the entire second half. The Bengals defense played, I think, one of the best halves of football that any defense has played in the NFL this year in the second half of that game against the Colts. Gardner Minshew has been really good. It's not like Gardner Minshew was making a ton of simple, stupid mistakes. He couldn't do anything. The Bengals yeah. were just in their lap at every single opportunity. This wasn't a, oh, this is why Gardner Minshew isn't a starting quarterback game. This was a, I don't think any team in the NFL would have been able to move the ball against the defense the way they were playing in this game. So all the credit in the world goes to the Bengals. I'm 100% with you, Scott. I 100% think the Bengals are going, are, are, are at least alive for the postseason. And Jake Browning, he throws one of the ugliest deep balls I've ever seen. But he's accurate. And he's so far yeah. in these last two games against the Jags and now against the Colts. He's hitting on deep shots. He's It doesn't yeah. look pretty. It's like, you know, every ball out of Joe Flacco's hands just looks incredible. It's the, uh, it's the opposite yeah. of that. Every ball out of Jake Browning's hands is fluttery and gross, and it comes out at a weird angle, but it's always exactly where it needs to be. And he's, and, and he's then, been playing really well. And an average depth of target on in both of those games that you just mentioned, an average depth of target on deep balls of 20 or more, of 32. So he's going way beyond the big-time throw. Yeah. they're ugly as sin, but the man, they work, yeah. But when you have T But Higgins, it's easy when you got Jamar and T. Higgins. And that's that the thing, but we, we said that all year. It's like, well, why isn't this offense, like the, especially the first half of the year when Joe Burrow was still coming back from injury, it's like, well, why isn't this offense looking as explosive? What's wrong with T. Higgins? He had like 180 yards through the first six games of the season. We're like, the fuck's going on with T. Higgins? He's in a contract here. He's playing terribly, right? And now it's like, all right, hey, we don't have Joe Burrow. Lit a fire under T. Higgins and and Jamar Chase's ass. And now they're out there balling their asses off and, and, and playing fucking incredible football. And if the defense continues to play at this level, I, I really do think the Bengals are going to make the postseason. Right. I mean, they, they got to play yeah. the Steelers. That's one team they got to they got to hop. Um, they have some games down the stretch here where it's like if they win, they kind of control their own destiny. Right. I mean, if they get to to, to nine wins, I, it's hard to say. Ten, I think, definitely gets them in. But they have Minnesota, Pittsburgh, Kansas City, Cleveland. Kansas City and Cleveland will be tough wins. But I think they'll be favorited favorites in the next two games. 
I'll pull up the spread here for Minnesota and and Pittsburgh, but I I would imagine after what we saw, yeah, the Bengals are four and a half point favorites this week. Yeah, against against the Vikings. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to say the least. Uh, all right, in the other game, Texans Jets. Oh, by the way, while while we're talking about the Bengals, uh, T Higgins is going to be a free agent at the end of the season, and people were already talking because with the money the Bengals just spent on Joe Burrow in addition to people being like, oh, the Bengals traditionally don't spend a lot of money ever. Um, will they be willing to maybe spend more money on – they're probably going to have to let T. Higgins go, especially because he was he was the first pick of the second round, so they don't get that fifth-year option on him. Where would you like to see T. Higgins end up next year? Because I think he can be a huge player, and I'll I'll say this, the game we're about to talk about is the one that a lot of people have thrown out there, which is send him to Houston – and let him be there, sit there with uh, with CJ Stroud, Tank Dell, Nico Collins. That's a pretty fearsome little wide receiver trio you got. That'd be nasty. I think the other team in that game too. If he goes to the Jets, like all of a sudden you got Garrett Wilson on one side, T. Higgins on the other, and Aaron Rodgers yeah. throwing you the ball. Well, especially <laughs> if 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 Rodgers is like, all right, fine, I don't need Randall Cobb and Alan Lazard. You can let those guys go. <laughs> yeah. Then yeah, I would agree right. with you. But I'll say I'll throw one other name out there because I think it, it would actually be a really, really good fit. I'd love to see him in Green Bay. Huh. Because right now yeah, it's like well, Christian Christian Watson, I think, is going to be really good. They have the most cap space of any team in, in the NFL going into this next season. So they're going to be able to – and obviously teams will manipulate their caps or whatever. That might change. But the, 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 the Packers have like an unprecedented amount of cap space coming into this next season. T. Higgins is a really, really good player, and I don't think out of all those young wide receivers in Green Bay, not all of them are going to hit, so I don't think there's a lot of point in in keeping them all together as some nucleus. I think you spend that money on T. Higgins, maybe you overpay a little bit, but you have Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, and T. Higgins as your three wide receivers with with Jordan Love. That's That's a good one. That's a pretty – and not to mention, like – I wouldn't be surprised if Green Bay, because I know they signed that kind of weird fake contract with him to extend him to another year, right? After this, they don't necessarily have to sign him to a contract. But if I'm the Packers, I would look into doing something like what the Giants did this year, which would be like, hey, let's sign like a short-term, less expensive deal. So like, hey, four years for $170 because they have the cap space for it. It's not going to hurt them. Right. And then you can still yeah. go out and get other pieces. And then that buys you another five years because this next year you get five years at a reasonable price and the cap's going to go up and you still have Jordan Love at a reasonable price. If he continues to play at this level, the rest of the season, right. That that we've seen at least. And again, tonight, Monday night football will be a, a good indicator of that. Um, but yes, Texans jets. That's the next game. Zach Wilson looked good, dude. Credit where it's credit where credit's due. Shout out to Zach Wilson. All right, he's taken more shit in the NFL than I think anybody across the league in the last two seasons, three seasons. Zach Wilson has done gotten nothing but shit on, and this is what we do in sports. We we rip people up to tear them down just so we can bring them back up again. It's like the crab in the barrel mentality, right? That's like that's what we do. Zach Wilson played an almost perfect game in the second half. Um, after a perfect first half of kickoff, punt, 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 end of half. <laughs> the immaculate half, yes. It really was. 
pointed Iowa out. Iowa wishes they could have a half <laughs> that looks like that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Ah. Uh, they they can't move the ball even though. So <laughs> no. Not even uh not even on the table. Look, I this game was was fun to me to see Zach Wilson kind of go out there and, and I'd be interested to see what uh uh what Roger says on McAfee tomorrow. Um or today when you're listening to this, but um I, what a job by him to just go, especially in that town where you know you're gonna get harsh media, right? And you've gotten the worst of the harsh media in New York, and then you get bench, even though it's your starting job. Um and, and you haven't played yourself out of it necessarily. And then they the two guys they brought in to to play at, in front of you played worse than you, and then they come back to you on uh, begging and pleading, Zach, can you please, please just come back and play for us? We promise we won't talk bad about you. And then <laughs> and he could have easily been like, you know what? Fuck you. I don't want to yeah. be any part of this. Um, Allegedly, no, he, went he tried. <laughs> he, he went out there and, and balled out. Like, good for him. Uh, against what has been a really tough defense in the Texans. Bummer yeah. about CJ Stroud going out in this one. Um, Nico yeah, Collins got hurt in this one, too. Um, but that hit on, on CJ Stroud was kind of nasty and he was riding around a little bit. That was, uh, hopefully was he gets better soon. Him and, on the football field is, has been fun to watch this year. And, and Quentin Williams came out on, on social media and, you know, commented, he was like, he was like, and he's not a dirty player. He's never has been. And uh, Quentin Williams is like one of my favorite players. One of those nasty interior defensive linemen. He's probably one of the most underappreciated players in the league for what he does. Um, him and like Derek Brown and some of those guys from that those draft Jeff Jeffrey Simmons like those just the guys on bad teams that are just filthy on the interior defensive line. Um, it sucked that CJ Stroud got knocked out of this game. It wasn't intentional. Um, but look, I mean they had fifty four net passing yards in this game, and Tank Dell obviously is a big important factor of that. But I do feel like this was kind of like a hey. We're going up against the best defense in the NFL. One of the best defenses we've seen in the NFL in a long, long time. We're a young team. You got smacked in the mouth, you know? Like, these losses happen. This Texans run has been so improbable based off of historical context and significance that I, I these games happen. It's a, it's a part of football. Yeah. And I, I'm very... I'm I'm still like I don't take anything away from what the Texans have done this year because of this game. Like I'm still equally as impressed, but sometimes this happens, which is why to me, like I come back from this game and I go, the thing that impressed me the most about this game was Zach Wilson. I mean, 27 yeah. of 36 for 300 yards and two touchdowns, no picks. I, I mean, he was make he looked like BYU Zach Wilson, and maybe this is the start of his like villain origin story, right? Which was like. He was trying to be the nice guy back and forth, bench, not bench. Rogers comes in, he starts, he gets benched, he gets started again. And finally he just snaps. And when they come back to him, like, hey, you know, we just we need you to play again. And finally, he just goes, you know what? Fuck it. Fuck this. Fuck the Jets. Fuck Robert Salah. I'm just going to come in and fucking sling the rock around and see what happens. Yeah. That's probably not what happened, but I like to think that's a that's a more fun story to me, if that's actually what happened. <laughs> um, yeah. But they did look really good. And there is no understating here. I mean, look, you lose Tank Dell. He's a huge part of your offense. He he really is like that that next Deshaun Jackson type. 
right? Just no matter what, when he's on the field, you always, always, always have to put safety help over the top because you just know that deep shot's coming. And the one time you don't, he's going to hit you for a deep shot. That's kind of the role Tank Dell plays. And unfortunately, like when he's not in the lineup, that whole offense, especially in the passing game, gets condensed a little bit. You can start playing single high safety. You can bring an extra guy in the block in the box. You can blitz, make the rookie cu- uh, quarterback feel a little bit uncomfortable. But at least he had Nico Collins, right? right? And that opening drive for the Texans did a pretty good job marching down the field until Nico Collins got hurt in that game, right? And they get down. I think it was about like the fifty yard line somewhere around there. They punt the ball. Nico Collins gets knocked out. Another fucking field turf monster from this stupid fucking MetLife. You know, just constantly taking people's calves and and ACLs and and Achilles left and right. Um, and Nico Collins, do you know by the way he's only the fourth wide receiver in Texans history to have a thousand yard season? That's cool. Well, D Hop's got to be. Let's see. Oh, yeah, that's... try 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 to name. Uh, I'm I'm trying to remember who the other one was. I the other two. I know one of them. There's one of those. I'm I'm forgetting. God, who's that big dude that played there? In the 2000s when they were good. Oh, come on. Johnson, right? Yeah. What's his first name? Played at University of Miami. One of my all-time favorite players. Had his jersey when I was a kid. Did you know? I did. He's arguably arguably the greatest (laughs) Texan of all time. Actually, I think he is the greatest Texan of all time. Andre Johnson. Andre, thank you. John, a huge blank. So Andre Johnson, DeAndre Hopkins, Nico Collins, and who would be the fourth one? Hmm. Recent, twenty twenty one. Oh, Brandon Cooks. Correct. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, either way, I don't take anything away from from what the Texans have done this year, but this does feel like the hey. You know, we're kind of crashing back to earth. Uh, and I don't think we're gonna see CJ Stroud moving forward in this uh in this game. All right. That's all the early uh the one o'clock games. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We have the late afternoon games and uh unfortunately Sunday night football to get to as well. So hang tight, we'll take a quick break. All right, second half of Sunday. Uh we're gonna do a little bit different this week just because you know I could make you all wait. To the end, I know there's a lot of Eagles fans that listen to this podcast. And probably a lot of Eagles fans don't even want to listen to podcasts right now. I felt that. I skipped over a couple of pods I didn't want to listen to. Um, Because the Eagles suck. They suck. They sucked last night. They sucked the week before. This is where we're at right now, Eagles fans. This is where we're at. So we're going to start with the Eagles game. And then we will uh, we'll talk Chiefs-Bills. And then we'll get Scotty's reactions to the the Niner Seahawks and and we'll finish up after that. Um I mean, look, I I've I've thought about this from so many different angles. And coming into this podcast, I I didn't know if we were gonna have Vito or not today. And it was funny because as I was kind of prepping for the pod today, I thought, all right, am I gonna do like because if I if I say one thing, it's Vito's gonna be Captain Optimism. And I love Vito for that. And and Scotty understands my Scotty and I share a very similar bond as psychotic, uh, borderline unhealthy uh, fans of our of our sports teams. Borderline, um, it's very well, definitively unhealthy. Yeah, you're, you're not you're not wrong. Um, 
and and you guys know who listen to this podcast. You guys know that like I I do really try to separate my fan from my analysis, and I am I am so frustrated with this team. And I said a lot of stuff in our group chat last night. Said a lot of stuff, and we always keep our group chat for for you know oh free, free space, judgment free zone, yeah. right? You know, if, if if the Niners look bad, and you're you're tweeting out a storm, if the Broncos look bad, you tweet you're typing out a storm in our group chat. We all we all just keep it. Hey, it's a vent circle, safe space. That's how we do it. Scotty, I don't take back anything I said about the Eagles last night. I don't. Okay. I don't. And, and and the reason is, and this sucks, because I tweeted last night and a bunch I got a bunch of people reacting to, to, to my tweet and people responding. And I was in threads and stuff. And one person said this, and my immediate reaction was, oh fuck no, that's not no, that's not right. That's not right. And then I thought on it. I thought on it a little more. And I realized that this gentleman who t- tweeted and responded to me was a hundred percent right because this Eagles team right now is a more talented version of the Minnesota Vikings of 2022. They've had every break turned their way despite playing mediocre football at times. They've shot in every single game that they've played. Every single one. Going back to week one, the game against the Patriots. If it wasn't for Demario Douglas not being able to put his second foot in bounds and it was inches above the, the turf, the Eagles could have lost week one to the Patriots. Every single win on the Eagles' schedule was a competitive game. The Eagles have not looked like a great team all year because they are not a great team. They're a good team. They're a good team. Since 2000, this is the tweet from Shields Capadia that, that that everyone's been that, that everyone's been referencing. Since since 2000, there's been 106 teams that have 10 wins at the 14 win mark. The Eagles point differential at plus 21 ranks 103rd out of 106 teams. The Eagles are a good football team. They are not a great football team. They are poorly coached. Extremely poorly coached. But they have talent. They have talent as much as any roster in football. But they have two coordinators right now who both had zero experience ever being coordinators. Brian Johnson and Sean Desai. And Sean Desai has had moments this year where I've been like, I see it. He's going to go through a learning curve. I I see it. But at some point, at some point during an NFL season, if you're a great team, if you're a Super Bowl caliber team, I don't care how many wins you have, you have to have a clear and decisive win on your resume. Eagles have none. You want to tell me, hey Jeff, that 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 Rams game, right? The Eagles won by nine points, two scores. That that Miami game, they dominated the line of scrimmage. They did dominate the line of scrimmage in that game. 
I'll I'll take Miami. I won't take the Rams. That wasn't a decisive win. And if you're going to be a Super Bowl team, if you're going to be a championship level team, at some point, at some point in the regular season, 14 weeks in, 13 games played, you have to have at least one win on your resume that was a clear, decisive ass whooping that you were just better than the other team. But the Eagles don't have that. And they don't have that because they're not a great team. They're a good team with a shitload of talent that is very poorly coached, that is clearly disinterested. You got your ass beat by the number one competitor in your conference, the team that you had a game up on in the win-loss column, a team that you had the two games, you had a clear advantage to take home that one seed, to get home field advantage, and you got embarrassed at home. You let the team, no offense, Scotty, of of whiners and, and guys who bitched for months about what happened in last year's NFC Championship game come into your house, walk up your sideline, cut in front of you, interfere with your team, troll you to your face before the game even started, and you let them whoop your fucking ass. Okay, that happens, right? The Niners, I've been saying it all year, are the best team in football. And I don't think it's close. I really don't. I don't think there's a single team in the NFL right now that can hang with the Niners. So put that aside. That happened, right? Now you get a chance. You just played your number one competitor for the one seed. The number one threat to your chance of winning a Super Bowl this year, the San Francisco 49ers, coming to your house and embarrass you like that. The following week, you play your biggest rival, who you already played this year and you barely won, arguably should have lost, but won barely with a chance to ice out your division. The Eagles win this game against Dallas. You ice out the division. You have a two-game lead. You have the tiebreaker plus a game up over the Cowboys. You have an easier finishing schedule than the Cowboys do. You finish out. You have your division title guaranteed home game. And what do you do? How do you show up? You look worse. I don't know if it's the bullshit from Nick Sirianni is finally wearing off on these guys. I don't know if it's Mr. Cool, Jalen Hurts, right? Because this is the thing. For years, for years, Eagles fans dealt with Andy Reid and the the, the post-game press conference. I got to do a better job. We got to do a better job. Need to do a better job. Says He still says it now with the Chiefs. Used to drive Eagles fans fucking insane. The Joe Cool keep, keep the main thing, the main thing with Jalen Hurts. That's great, dude. You know what's not great? When you're sitting on the sidelines sulking like a little fucking bitch. Because that's how he looked to his teammates. He's not a bitch. He's a badass. We know that about Jalen Hurts. We know how tough that guy is. But in moments, in moments of, of, of doubt, in moments of, hey, we need to galvanize this team, it'd be nice if you showed an ounce of fucking emotion to care a little bit, to pretend even, even if it's not real. It's great that Jalen Hurts can be Joe Cool at all times. 
it's great that he has no emotions on the sidelines, right? For Jalen. But you're you're a leader, man. You're a leader with grown men looking at you to inspire them, looking at you to jack them up. Tom Brady could be Joe Cool, and he could also turn the knob up and throw an iPad, slam his helmet, show that he's fucking frustrated. We talked about this with Mac Jones, right? We talked about this. Nick Saban said how he had to pull Mac Jones aside and say, hey, you got a bunch of guys who are looking to you, right? Jalen Hurts is the one at the podium last year talking about, I, it's not about reading the room. I'm the thermometer or I'm the thermostat. I'm the one that sets the temperature. You set the temperature last night at, at 40 degrees. Ice cold, no interest, no passion, no heart, and got embarrassed by your division rival. And I know the Eagles have had a hard stretch. I know that they've had the hardest stretch that anyone's played in football. I know they have one of the hardest strength of schedules in football. I know they're tired. I know this is three straight games where they've played against teams who have had 10 plus days of rest. I know that. That's not a fucking excuse. If they, if they came out and competed and lost that game to the Niners by a touchdown, all right. If they came out and competed against the Cowboys after what the Niners did to you last week in your own fucking building on your own field and you and you lost, but you still battled, it was a close game, okay. What they did last night was embarrassing to the city of Philadelphia. And I get it. We have high expectations. We boo people. We threw snowballs at Santa Claus. Frankly, I don't give a shit. I don't if we have high expectations. We have high expectations because you're one of the most talented fucking football teams in the NFL. And how you're playing right now is dog shit. And it's the whole team. It's the antithesis of what Jason Kelly's Super Bowl speech was about, right? Lane Johnson can't stay off the juice. Malcolm Jenkins can't catch. Nelson Aguilar can't catch. Carson Wentz can't stay healthy. All that shit that we love about Jason Kelsey. This is the opposite of that. We have everybody who can do the things. But they don't seem interested in fucking playing football or giving a shit. Because Joe Cool, at quarterback, and I get it. You got to be calm. You got to be chill under big pressure moments. But act like it fucking matters when you're getting embarrassed two weeks in a row against the top two competitors in your own fucking conference. Mr. I don't make excuses. Mr. Keep winning the main thing, the main thing, the main thing, the main thing. You failed back-to-back weeks in embarrassing fashion against the two teams that you're probably going to have to beat if you want to go back to the Super Bowl. So spare me with your fucking bullshit. I love Jalen Hurts. I'm happy he's the quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles for a long time. I can't do this. I'm calm no matter what bullshit anymore, because at some point you have to show that you fucking care. He's literally Ted Lasso. I'm in the middle of rewatching Ted Lasso right now. And the, the, the assistant coach in Ted Lasso, Coach Beard, freaks out at him because it's not just about growing as a person. Winning matters. They're professionals. They're grown men. Winning fucking matters. It matters in your paycheck. It matters in your reputation. It matters in your legacy as a fucking football player. And if you give an ounce of a fuck about that, stop acting with this, you know, flower bullshit crap that Sirianni gave us a year ago. Because right now, 
It's the whole team that's fucking up. And the biggest moments of the game against Buffalo, Jason Kelsey, back-to-back false starts to turn a 49-yard field goal into a 59-yard field goal in the middle of a fucking monsoon. And you can go back through every single game this season, and I can tell you points where the Eagles are not supposed to be a 10-3 and team. And yet they are. And yet they have an opportunity. And every single game, they have had opportunities to put games away. The game against Buffalo, right? You go down, score three straight touchdowns, you get the ball back. You go three and out with a chance to ice away the game. And instead, you have to win in miraculous fashion. And this is why they're a more talented version of the 2022 Vikings. Because they've been on the right side of the coin every single time this year. Until they played games where it didn't matter because the other teams were just fucking better than them. And that's what's happened the last two weeks. They've been embarrassed. AJ Brown's more worried about defending Debo Samuel for his bullshit nonsense running his mouth than he is defending his own team. Darius Slay is more interested in arguing with Seth Joyner, an Eagles Hall of Famer and one of the best linebackers to ever play football, about how he is not the fucking problem than worrying about the fact that their defense has given up 33-plus points in the last three games. And I have a list on my phone, on my notes app right now, of how many, statistically, this isn't just angry Philly fan, you know, spewing out about nothing. Let's run through it, right? Let's run through it. The Eagles organizational philosophy. This is a tweet from uh, Dave's or from uh, Shil Kapadia. Eagles organizational philosophy when building the defense is to overinvest in the pass rush at every turn. On third downs this season, the Eagles are sacking opponents 5.1% of the time on third downs, the worst rate in the NFL. Third down rate last in the NFL, sacking the quarterback. Third, uh, third down pressure rate, 28th in the NFL. Quarterbacks get rid of the football in 2.92 seconds. So people saying, oh, well, they're getting the ball out faster against them. Nope. League average is 2.95 seconds. They're doing it the same as the league average, and they still can get to the fucking quarterback. Opposing quarterbacks are throwing touchdowns on 10.4% of third downs. One out of every third down the Eagles face is a touchdown pass. The next closest percentage in the entire NFL is the Washington Commanders at 8.5%. Air yards per attempt, fourth highest in the NFL because their secondary can't cover shit. Their bottom five in blitz percentage on third down. The Eagles have managed to get into the red zone once last night. The only time Jalen Hurts fumbled the ball on the opening drive. The Eagles have been, uh, uh, the Eagles have allowed 64 points in the final two minutes before half this season. The most in the NFL by 14 points. The Eagles also haven't won a game in Dallas in six fucking years, which is a bigger issue, I understand, but it just pisses me off as an Eagles fan. I'm so sick of this team and the mentality of it, right? I don't know if it's because everyone is thinking about last year and the the carryover from this team that was so good last year to what it is this year. Brian Johnson has done nothing to help Jalen Hurts. A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith both had two massive drops last night. Devontae Smith's was a touchdown that he dropped. A.J. Brown's hit him literally in the fucking dick, and he dropped it along the sidelines, albeit would have been a tough catch. 
but that's why you're supposed to be one of the top wide receivers in football. This offense is slow. It's predictable. On third down and long, they cannot get passes off. They're right. They faced a fourth and nine, right? The Eagles go for it. The best play they could muster up was a underneath route to Devontae Smith because the Dallas went all Dallas went all out blitz and the Eagles passing con, uh, passing concepts take so long to develop that they couldn't get the ball out sooner. Derek Gunn, who I wouldn't expect you to know, Scotty, but is was the long, long, long time local Philly insider for NBC Sports, right? Used to be Comcast, NBC Sports. D-Gun was texting with a player during a post-game show for his own network now. And the player said, it's all play design. Jalen doesn't have time to get the ball out. He doesn't. It's it's impossible for them because the Brout's concepts take so long to develop that he literally cannot get the ball out. And this is the part that I fucking hate to admit, but is the absolute God-honest truth. The Eagles offense is not sorry the Eagles offensive line is not what it was last year they have one player ranked in the top 10 at their position right now according to PFF and it's Jason Kelsey Malata had a hot start to the season he's fallen off he's at 12th right now I, I the, the, the the bottom line I and mean, even J- Lane Johnson Lane Johnson's having his worst career or his worst year of his career since he was like third year in the league and that happens you get old it's a part of football that sucks but we have to stop pretending like this team is anything else and part of it too is Jalen holds on to the ball too long and the passing concepts take so long to develop that Jalen cannot get the ball out but then Jalen has five fumbles in the last five games AJ Brown fumbles the ball Devontae Smith fumbles the ball Anytime they start to get any amount of momentum, they shoot themselves in the foot and then they walk off the field with this malaised, glazed over look in their eye, holding their helmets slow. Their body language is fucking shit. This team is not a great football team. It's a good football team because of talent. But Sirianni is shitting the bed as the head coach of this team right now. And last year, when you had two coordinators who would go on to be head coaches, he could be rah-rah, right? But go over the course of his history. When he was calling plays his first year in Philly, he was dog shit. He gave it to Shane Steichen. All of a sudden, Jalen Hurts could get into a rhythm. We had a coach who actually was calling plays to help set our quarterback up for success. Brian Johnson has no fucking clue what he's doing, and he's trying to learn on the fly. Sean Desai has some interesting concepts, but point he's been a defensive coordinator three different times in his career on the interim level, right? Once with the Chicago Bears, 22nd in points allowed per game. Last year, he wasn't the defensive coordinator, but he was the assistant head coach and was in charge of the defense with the defense coordinator for Seattle Seahawks. They were 25th or sorry, 26th in the league in points per game defensively. This year, the Eagles are 28th. This team is circling the drain, and they are so talented. But the shit that A.J. Brown was doing the whole game, dropping easy passes, getting in the face of Stephon Diggs, or uh, 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 Stephon Gilmore, calling him old, apparently, and that's what ignited Stephon, Stephon Gilmore to have this monster game. They're not giving the ball to DeAndre Swift, who's been the only fucking reliable part of this offense the entire season outside of the stretch where A.J. Brown gave a shit. 
AJ Brown's getting called for for defensive PIs or offensive PIs because he doesn't know how to fucking flatten off his route, stay within a yard because God forbid they use him as a decoy to open up another player on the fucking team. It's it's the whole team. And I know there's going to be people listening to this rant and saying I'm being dramatic and I already and like I wish Vito was here so he could try to push back on me on it because I know I'm not wrong. They're a 10 and 3 team. And the crazy thing is, they still control their own destiny to win the NFC East. They win out, it's theirs. It's not happening. Not the way this team is playing right now. We are 14 weeks into the season. The Eagles have yet to have a convincing win the entire season. Because even still in that Miami game, which I would argue was the most decisive win they had all year, the Dolphins went down and scored in 30 seconds before the half. The Dolphins were in that game all the way up until the fourth quarter. Same thing with the Rams. And those were the two most decisive wins. You want to bring up Minnesota? That game was ugly week two. You want to bring up Tampa Bay in week three? That game was ugly too. Bring up, again, talked about the Pats earlier. They're a good team. They're not a great team. And they've been lucky. And their talent has outweighed every other team they've played because they are that talented. But at this point, it's a coaching staff. It's a mentality thing. And this team seems to have, they they look exhausted. And I get it. They played a lot of football last year. You go to the Super Bowl, you play a lot of football, you have a shortened off season. But we need to stop with this whole Eagles or Super Bowl contenders bullshit because they're not. They are flat out not. And there's nothing this year, statistically, that proves that they are. They're talented as hell. They have the potential to be a Super Bowl team this year. But everything else we've seen aside from that is not there for what a normal Super Bowl team was, i.e. what this team was 12 months ago. End of rant. <laughs> no, I, I think I agree with you, man. Um, just from an outsider's perspective looking at it, and all those stats are damning, and they prove what you've what you've seen on and off the field. I I mean, it, it's hard when you have that much talent to uh to sort of rationalize what's going on. And it's crazy how we change tunes week to week, right? You know, one week the week before the the Niners game, I was sitting here saying, you know, as as bad as you think you might be or struggling as you think you might be, you're still 10 and 2 or 10 and 1 going into that game. Um and you found different ways to do it. And that's what's been the difference in the in the game. Now 2 weeks 2 weeks on from that and the two losses that you've endured I and I tend to agree with you where I'm like yeah, maybe they they were resilient but they're not doing the things that that got them there against good teams for the record. Yeah. Um they're not doing the things that got them there. Um and and you rattle them all off. Hertz has not looked right in the pocket. Um, you've you've abandoned the running game, which I don't understand. Um, and and the the turnovers um, over the past couple of weeks have been a huge problem. So I I don't know if you can even figure out what it is that got you there in terms of that resilience. Um, but it's uh. 
it's time to shit or get off the pot if you're the Eagles. Um, because look, I, this, you know, you look at the schedule and everybody in the world is saying, oh yeah, this the easiest path to win out for all of the uh, the teams that are in the mix at the top at least. Um, but it's starting to get a little more crowded up at the top there. Um, it's not Eagles, Niners, and then everyone else, right? So no, uh, you know, a tough. It's Seattle is next week is is or this week rather is a, is a tough opponent. You got to go on the road on a Monday night game and try to figure out all the things that have been plaguing you for not only the last three weeks, but the season. And Seattle is fighting for their lives at this point. Um, So, I I mean, that's going to be a huge test. The only thing I would push back on is like, I I feel like this is a point where, uh, and I said this to you last night um, in trying to help, you know, (laughs) calm me down a bit, but like, this happens to good teams. The Niners, and and granted we had injuries, but the Niners lost three straight games to teams that they had no business losing to. Part of yeah. it was injuries, but still, even with, with those injuries, the Niners are way better than the, the teams that they played and lost to. Like not, And it's not even close. So this happens to, to good teams. And what I think... As a Niners fan, I'm hoping it doesn't. But what I think this could be is a rallying point um, for the team. But they haven't proven that yet either. So uh, this is the first real adversity that you guys have faced um, in in a long time, and I think that's part of part and parcel of why you and other Eagles fans should be so upset because there is this standard. But at some point, it, it, it needs to be a, a, a rallying you know, cry to, to figure out, Hey, this is not us. Um, and, and we need, here's how we fix it. Right. And it's to, to, on the opposite side of that, you know, looking at this schedule, you can look at this and go be be like, it's not going to get fixed because we're playing one good team in the next four. Like you, you could get through these four games and still have no idea. You win all four of them and still have no idea how good your team is going into the playoffs. Well, I mean, and that's ultimately what it is. Is like this this team has a knack for winning football games. And like, look, I'll say it, credit to the Cowboys. Cowboys are a fucking good football team. Their offense is electric. Their their wide receivers are great. To me, like the Eagles handed them that game. The demeanor in which the Eagles approached that game from the opening drive. I said, I said to my girlfriend, two minutes into the game, I was like, when they went down, scored that touchdown effortlessly, I was like, this is gonna be a long night. And then the Eagles get the ball. They start to seem like they're moving a little bit, right? As soon as they get a big head of steam. It's the same as last week. Jalen fumbles, right? And it's ultimately, we say this all the time, football is about the little things. The little stuff last year, now granted it was against a much easier schedule than what the Eagles did this year. The Eagles were flawless on the little things. They always did the little things right. Jalen had like four five turnovers all season, right? He's had five fumbles in the last five weeks. Like that's that's the stuff, right? It's the little things. It's the nuance up. It's taking, but they're the things that make the biggest difference. And then on top of that, to not show any ounce of like frustration or anger, you know, you have guys like Jason Kelsey, like guys who should be future Hall of Famers who are who are playing on this team, Super Bowl champs, all time guys in Philly, Brandon Graham. Fletcher Cox, like Fletcher Cox has been the best Eagles defensive lineman all season. 
Like Jalen Carter's been awesome as a rookie. Don't get me wrong. And he's going to be a great player moving forward. The touchdown or whatever was great. The Eagles defense has scored as many touchdowns in the last two games as the Eagles offense. And we're, we're talking about this team as a Super Bowl contender. Like, and, and I understand, I understand they've gotten shafted with the schedule. I understand that, Hey, three consecutive weeks where you play the, you play the Cowboys, the Niners and the Bills and the, and the Chiefs the week before, and all of them are coming off of extra rest. Like that, that's fucked up. Like that's, that's shitty, you know, but this is, this is the card that you're dealt, man. Do, do you give a shit? Yeah, do you, you knew that going in. Yeah. Yeah. So show up, not to mention it's, it's your number one competitor. The team that's been bitching and complaining about how you were fake champ, fake NFC champions all last year. And you get embarrassed in your own stadium. And then you play your biggest rival. Like, I know they beat Kansas City, right? They rede- redemption for the Super Bowl, whatever. They beat Buffalo, a good team. They beat Miami. They beat Dallas the first time around. Dallas Goddard played in this game, right? There's there's no there's no excuse. You were healthy, right? You know, like Zach Cunningham, like the linebacker position is obviously a huge hole. But this Eagles defense went from being the number one rushing defense in the NFL to all of a sudden teams can just gash us anytime they want. And, and, you know, Jalen Carter has basically played an extra game. Jordan Davis basically played an extra game. Fletcher Cox basically played an extra game because of that overtime game, because of how many snaps this defense has played. But ultimately, that's because this team isn't executing. They're not playing complimentary football. The offense isn't helping out the defense. The defense is trying their best to do as much as they can. At some point, there's only so much they can do. And when your best players are are, are turning the ball over, as frequently as they are, like there's, there's nothing you can do. You know, it's, it's, you said this last night and the thing you said earlier about like, this happens to good teams. You're right. It does happen to good teams. It doesn't happen to great teams, barring injury. It happens to good teams. That's what the Eagles are. The Eagles are a good team. Just like Minnesota was a good team last year. And that hurts for Eagles fans. We talked about this all last year on the podcast about how Minnesota was, was uh, you know, the, the fakest 10-win team we had seen. Or 11 or 12 wins, how many Minnesota had, right? All their miraculous wins. If it takes a miracle to win games because of how, poor you, how poorly you played the rest of the game, that's not showing sustainability. And ultimately, what the best teams, what Super Bowl champion teams do is they show sustainable success against good competition and bad. And yes, the Niners lost three games in a row when they were missing their two best players. They've also dominated teams when their full roster was healthy. And this Eagles team is just not there. Not even close. And they have the talent, but there's 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 some issues within that locker room right now. And I I don't know if a Frank Reich reunion or what's gonna gonna make anything better, but Brian Johnson is bad. Sean Desai has shown flashes of being really good, but with a team this dominant or a team this talented to not have a single game through 14 weeks where you just flat out beat the other team by three touchdowns. That's a prop. And it it starts with Sirianni and and Jalen Hurts. And Jalen's been good. 
he hasn't been great. He's made a lot of mistakes this year, and that that that's adding up, and it sucks. But the thing that kills me is, is like, you guys, you know, we have our group chat, and I, I, I vent during the games, and I send all that stuff. What's crazy is all year, like, I would send that stuff in the group chat, and then we'd get to the podcast, and it'd be like, all right, flip the switch. Well, they found a way to win this game, and, you know, it's gritty, and they just, the Seagulls team keep finding, finding ways to do it, Right. But what's been the one common theme of this team all year? The same shit I've been complaining about in our group chat. You know, the same stuff about them shooting themselves in the foot over and over. That's been the common th- the common thread. And at some point, 14 weeks in, if that's the common thread, then that's the issue. They've gotten lucky, a lot of lucky breaks. And they've also gone out and won games like they did in that Buffalo game, which they executed brilliantly in the second half. But that's also games where it's like, yeah, good teams lose games like this. Good teams get blown out every once in a while. Great teams don't. And great teams win Super Bowls. And that's why this team is I, I is not a Super Bowl contender to me. And Vito would tell me, oh, again, they're 10 and 3 and you got to blah, 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 blah. Okay, he can say that. But I've watched enough football and I've followed enough throughout the years of my life and historically to know that overwhelmingly the statistics play out that if you are not a consistently good team, that you are dominating wins and you are showing yourself to be who you are throughout the whole season through the course of 16, 17 weeks, you're not a Super Bowl contender, man. You're just not. And I I don't think the Eagles are. I don't. They're a good team. They're not a great team. They also haven't beaten the Seahawks in 15 years. And I'm not saying that, obviously, 15 years, completely different Eagles team. I get it. But that stat's going to get thrown around all week. All week. Not to mention the added pressure that's going to be on them to be like, hey, we really can't fuck up the rest of the way if we want to have a one seed. You got to beat a division rival twice, albeit the Giants fucking suck. But we also just saw the Cardinals beat the Steelers last week. And Kyler Murray's back, and who knows what the fuck the rest of it's going to be. So. Credit to the Cowboys. They dominated this game. Um, But the Eagles, the Eagles said a lot about themselves as a team by the way that they approached this game after what happened last week. And I think more than anything, this proves that like, that's what this team is. They're good. They're not great. All right. Chiefs bills. This was a, a fun game but not necessarily like the classic Bills-Chiefs games, the 13-second game, some of that stuff we know from this rivalry over the last couple of years. Ultimately, one of these teams was going to win at the end, um, and it was going to be close. But the only thing that I think is really worth diving into is the, um, you know, the whole Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, freaking out, the Kadarius-Tony offside stuff. Um, my two cents on it is I love Patrick Mahomes and the complaining to refs and stuff that like my family and other Eagles fans and a lot of people around the league who are fans hate never really bothers me. Um, because I, I, I think it's no dissimilar to how any other player really reacts, uh, other than like Jalen hurts. Who's a fucking statue. Uh, this was a little bit different. Um, his comments after the game were really 
like really fucking pissed me off a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Um, I wasn't like super mad in the moment because I was so focused in on how much I hated the Eagles last night. But as I've sat on it today, dude, you, you literally got to the Super Bowl last year and cemented the Super Bowl win last year because of borderline penalty calls. And those games are far more <laughs> valuable than this game. Yeah, right? that was Joseph, one of the things I was going to cite. <laughs> yeah, like Asai pushing you out of bounds late. I get it. We said that on this pod. They had to call that. None of us liked it. The James Same Bradbury, the, the James yeah. Bradbury hold, like none of us liked it. The Eagles didn't lose the game because of the James Bradbury hold. That's not when they lost the game. But ultimately, it was a borderline call that cemented that game that took away a chance for the Eagles to have the ball back at the end of that game. Um, and yeah, like if you're going to complain about like you can't call a, a play at that moment, I get you're heated. I thought him going up to, to Josh Allen after the game and not even saying good game, but just immediately going into can't believe they called that there and the audio got picked up on the mics um, was, was kind of shitty. You know, like I know the two of them are friends, but like, you know, do do the thing, man. You go up, you dap them up, you say good game, you give credit. Josh Allen was unbelievable in this game. Like Josh Allen's continued to be unbelievable all year. He deserves credit for being that fucking good. Going up to him and saying the offsides penalty, the biggest part of the game as you're dapping up the other quarterback is just kind of like a loser move in my in my mind. And I'm a I'm a Patrick Mahomes fan. Like I love Patrick Mahomes. And ultimately, if I, <laughs> if I defend Mahomes here, which I'm going to, my defense to Mahomes, and by the way, this is a podcast where both of us lost Super Bowls to this guy uh, as fans. The one thing I'll say is, to me, this was his outlet for the level of frustration that he's done a very, very good job of keeping tempered all season with how terrible his wide receivers have been. And this is how it kind of came to a head and burst out. And on one hand, I think it is fair to criticize Mahomes because I think his comments are stupid as hell. And I think even Mahomes would probably say that. And I wouldn't be surprised if later on this week he does a press conference and he says as much, uh, especially after the PR team gets a hold of him. But I also think it is fair on his end because he's been playing some of the best quarterback of his career and he has wide receivers who can't fucking catch the ball. And I think instead of confronting the wide receivers, he tried to be the consummate pro who didn't scream at guys. He was trying to be the nice guy. Didn't want to yell at the wide receivers for, for making mistakes. And it felt like that is where that frustration and that massive freak out kind of came from. Yeah, no, that's what I attributed to it. I, like, I, I don't understand how you can get in front of a, a microphone at a press conference and say, yeah, that was off. Yeah. He broke the rule, but you can't call him for breaking the rule in that situation. Yeah. What? Especially when it's a procedural penalty. Like it's one thing if it's a holding or a pass interference or, you know, something yeah. that's happening in, at, in Subjective action. Subjective a little when bit. It's, yeah. yeah. When it's procedural and it's like literally objective and, and the credit to the, the lines official who came out and even said, it's like, yeah, we typically do give benefit of the doubt and it will let coaches know or let players know. Kadaris Tony didn't check in with the official, which you, you get taught in high school to do that. Kadaris Tony didn't do that and lined up obnoxiously over the line of scrimmage. Like it was yeah. beyond clear. 
Uh, and it sucks that it took away such a sick play. You know, Kelsey made an unbelievable play there in the latter order. I don't know if it was designed or not, but like they, sh- they shouldn't get penalties. rewarded. No. Yeah. Yeah. Like proceed, they shouldn't like, get reward just because of the play. Like you can separate the two. Like, like imagine if if the if it, if the roles were reversed in this situation, right? If we're talking about procedural, which is that, let's say, you know, uh, Ed Oliver was lined up in the neutral zone, like very clearly with his helmet over the ball at the three technique, blows up the line of scrimmage and and bats the ball in the air, and it gets picked off and run back for a line you know, to, to, a, for, for a pick six and that cements the game, right? That, that wins or, you know, it's, it's 17, 17 and that play happens and that's how the game ends. Right. Would Patrick Mahomes still have that same energy of like, well, you can't, you can't call that there. You can't call that here. Let the players play. Yeah. It's like, no, if it's, if it's pre-snap, you don't have an argument for you have to let them play. If it's a pass interference, a holding call, you know, a personal foul, something like that you have a little bit more leeway, like the holding call on James Bradbury, which is like, look, James Bradbury said it was a hold. We all saw that it was by the letter of the law. It probably was a hold. A lot of officials would have let it slip. That official didn't. They threw the flag. And that was that. That was the game. You know, this is something that when you line up to play and you're an offensive player, not to mention, I heard Big Cat saying this on part of my take today. In the last three years, going back two years ago, right? This play, this offensive offsides call was called once in the NFL the entire regular season. The year after that, it was called twice last year. This year, it's been called 11 times because the NFL is making a conscious effort. And all of the teams and officials know, like officials, teams, coaches, GMs, players, everybody knows they're calling this more often this year for a reason. And, and, and you I, can be as upset as you want about that if you're Mahomes. Like, for fine, sure. But that's that's still the rule. I don't know what to tell you, bud. I did love, I will say, the intensity because he's had such a charmed life. Okay. And now the minute that he is facing adversity with his team now at eight and six, or eight and five, sorry. Um, the minute he's faced adversity now, for the first time in his is in his charmed career, it's somebody else's it's the ref's fault. It can't be our fault for doing the wrong thing. Ah, that's not how this works, bud. Because when you I get it, you're you're one of those dudes, like we've put you into to the the Mount Rushmore of of greats. I mean, writ large, we've we've done that uh as as a football watching society where we're saying, hey, you're one of those dudes. You're Tom Brady level, you're Michael Jordan level, you you are GOAT level. And those guys have competitive juices and the way their brain works is like wired completely differently than you or I. Um, but at the same time, you cannot sit there after your charmed football career and blame the refs for making a call on a procedural play that is 1,000% a penalty. Yeah. The intensity, I get, but like leave check that shit at the door yeah when stuff gets hard for you bud because you know even jordan went through seasons where he was like didn't play my best then i turned it on um so and look mahomes has been unbelievable and the quarterback position is the most important position in all of sports but also is the most dependent position in all of sports right 
Like you can be the most talented quarterback in the world, but if you don't have wide receivers who can catch, if you don't have an offensive line who can block, if you don't have a coach who knows how to call plays, it doesn't matter. Just like quarterbacks who are far less talented can go on to win Super Bowls or be MVPs or have amazing careers because they have weapons around them, an offensive line in front of them, and a coaching staff who knows how to support them. Mahomes has been able to do as much as he possibly can. And ultimately that's why it feels like he redirected all of his frustration towards his wide from his wide receivers towards the officials in that game, because it was something out of his control. And he's, and this is such a problem with modern day athletes, which is like, you're under such a microscope with social media and TV coverage and everything else that goes on that. Like if you freak out a little bit one way or another, like you, you can't do that or else you're going to be labeled a diva. You're going to be called an asshole or all these different things. And he's just tried to be a good dude. He's been far and away the best quarterback in the NFL for the last five, six seasons. And he's been an upstanding, perfect. It's, it's similar to like when, when Steph Curry, like threw the mouth guard, remember? Yeah. Like, and he finally just snapped and he threw the mouth guard and he freaked out. And it was like, Oh, Oh my, you know, everyone's clutching their pearls. Like, oh, Steph Curry can't possibly do that. What? What? How, how dare he show emotion in this game for frustration because of his teammates being stupid pieces of shit? Like, that's what this was. He directed it towards the official. It's a bad argument. Where he fucked up was doubling down on his reaction yeah. on the sideline in the press conference. If he had just said, I lost my cool. I understand they had to do it. It sucks for the team. It was a great play. We should have, you know, we we feel like we should have had a chance to win this football game and we didn't do it. Well, then, yeah, then because then he all had three sudden, shots after that. Yeah. Well, and on top of that, too, but just like that's 100 percent true, Scotty, and a very, very valid point. I want that to be stuck. He did have multiple opportunities to, to fix the outcome after the fact. But he also very easily could have negated this backlash that he's getting now by like no one would be talking about the outburst on the sideline if he didn't double down on it. I mean, people might talk about it, but people wouldn't be talking about him differently if he hadn't doubled down on the officiating thing. Because the thing yeah. with Mahomes is it's like there's a lot of evidence that you've had a lot of beneficial calls in your career that have helped you win Super Bowls. And that is a part of it, right? You can be the best, most dominant team of all time i.e. the 17-0 Patriots or 18-0 Patriots and get a little bit unlucky in the Super Bowl and not win, right? To win a championship in any of the in any professional sport, it takes a combination of hard work, skill, coaching, talent, and luck. The luck component is yeah. massive. And, and that's right? why winning is so hard. Yes. <laughs> Because you can do everything right. The Buffalo Bills in the 1990s went to four straight Super Bowls. Like you can be the best team over a five-year stretch and still not win a Super Bowl. How many years did Peyton Manning and the Colts win 14 games, you know, over that stretch? They had one Super Bowl to show for it. How many years has Aaron Rodgers been the most talented and best quarterback in the NFL and he has one Super Bowl to show for it? The, the, the Green Bay Packers have 30 years of having one of the number one, one of the, a, a top five quarterback in the NFL. How many Super Bowls do they have to show for it? Two over 30 plus years. It's hard because you need the luck. You need the stuff to bounce your way, you know, and, and sometimes it just doesn't. And yeah. in this case, like Mahomes has had every benefit of the doubt call given to him. The Super Bowl they lost, they got 
just flat out dominated by the the Buccaneers. Other than that, like they've had every close call go their way. And I think that's what rubs people the wrong way. It's like, dude, you've gotten every call. You are the face of the league. You will get roughing the passer calls that no other quarterback gets because you're Patrick Mahomes. You don't get to to complain about a very clear, blatant offsides call because Kadarius Tony is a fucking airhead. Like you just don't get that. And if he hadn't doubled down on it at the press conference, I guarantee you the topic on get up would be like his reaction at the end of the game had more to do with his frustration with the wide receivers than it does with the actual call instead, because he doubled down on the call aspect of it. Now everyone's telling him how fucking stupid you are for saying that it you're blaming the call when it clearly was the call. And the focus then becomes on this offsides call, which isn't even remotely debatable. And, and, and honestly, the fact that Andy Reed doubled down on it, I don't know if that's just yeah. Andy like sticking up for his player. I don't know who went first Mahomes or Andy in the press conference. Um, or if they're just so frustrated with how the season's gone, but yeah, it was, it was a lot of weird, it's just a weird ending to that game. I I'll be honest. I kind of liked seeing Mahomes lose his shit a little bit. I liked that's what seeing I mean. the him intensity show factor. Was, yeah. yeah, that's that's what I was. I was just like, like oh, I liked, wow. That's... I liked it when Steph Curry chucked his mouthpiece. You know, I've made that analogy between the two players for years now, right? Like, I liked when they when that stuff happens. I like seeing athletes show that they give a shit. Part of the reason why I'm so frustrated with Jalen Hurts and the the the, the statue Easter egg fucking ass you know mentality he has sometimes. It's great when you're winning. When you're losing, show me that you give a shit that you're losing, you know? And I like that Mahomes showed that frustration and was yeah, like, you know what? I'm, yeah, <laughs> being a fucking human. Doubling down on it was the mistake that the Chiefs made. And sure. and I'm sure PR is going to tell them that. All right. Bills uh, played great in that game, though. <laughs> they did. And look, the Bills, just like that, the Bills are alive. Right and back in it. <laughs> I, I, I would put money on the Bills making the playoffs. It's probably minus odds at this point, but I would put money on the Bills making the playoffs. Because they they have been statistically, they're the opposite of what the Eagles are. They're both super talented teams, but every single break has gone poorly for the, the Bills, and every single game has just broken the wrong way for the Bills. But they're just as talented, and they are probably two games below what their record should be. They should be like, nine and nine and four i guess it would be right yeah um they should be nine and four uh or at least eight and eight and five but instead they're seven and six but i i think they have a good chance of making the postseason uh all right last couple games gotta talk about it niners seahawks niners look great assuming you're just continuing to feel great right now yeah no i look the, the the big thing is staying healthy, and we had a couple of injuries in this game. Traverius Ward went out early. Our uh, our star cornerback, um, Javon Hargrave, had a, a an injury. Dre Greenlaw uh, got an injury, and uh, he ended up coming back. But got to stay healthy. That's been the the key to uh, to the success on both sides of the ball. Um, so hopefully neither of those guys who got injured on the defensive side of the ball got out uh, or out for uh, for an extended period of time. Um, but the offense is is humming, just like it, it has been the last few weeks, man, when they're healthy. So uh, what Brock is doing, like, it, it's beyond play call from Kyle, which is innovative and great. Um, but 
what he's the way he's Brock is executing it now it is just been absolutely lights out. Like where he's putting the ball in some of these cases um, goes beyond the play calling. Like, yeah, let's run routes to get Ayuk and Debo open. Um, but like the, the little stuff that you were talking about with Jalen is what Brock is doing. The putting it two yards out in front of the receiver so he can reach out, yeah. grab it and get some yak um, instead of just trying to drop a, uh, drop it to to where you know he's going to be. Um, that that little stuff that that we keep executing is great, um, and hopefully it keeps going, man. I mean, the Seahawks are, I still think a tough team. They played one of their best defensive games, I think, for the most in the first half at least. Um, and you know, not having Geno is uh, is rough. Um, it seems. I mean, Drew Lock had. They a great still played first pretty drive, good, but after was, that, yeah, I was going to say I was pretty impressed with the with the first half effort from the Seahawks in that game. Yeah, yeah, uh, and again, it was it was Kenneth Walker's back, and now we can commit to the run a little more than we than we well, than they had in the past weeks. Holding this Niners offense to twenty eight points is pretty damn yeah. good. Uh, yeah, um, I'm 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 going to ask it again. Vito was dismissive because sometimes Vito doesn't like when we spend too much time on a specific debate. And if we disagree, he just says, move on. I love you, Vito. But sometimes that happens. Brock Purdy can't be the MVP. Do, do you honestly in your like, if you were to say no. right now, like if you were if you had a vote for the MVP, would you give it to Brock Purdy? No, I wouldn't. I I, I am of the camp where I'd give it to CMC before I give it to Brock Purdy. I would too. Right now. Picking honors players. I mean, if I was truly picking I, who I thought was the most important player or the most valuable player. It'd probably be Trent Williams or Debo. Um, oh, Debo Niners, doesn't yeah. have the stats for it. I mean, just in general. I mean, Debo Debo is the thing that separates them because of what he can do. Um, he is the thing that that separates them from from so many other teams because of the way they can use him. Um, but Trent Williams to me is the most important piece and the most valuable piece of that team. However, yeah. I'll I'll entertain the the Brock Purdy thing. I've thought about it since that conversation last week. It, it's it makes me want to vomit saying it. But it, if we're going off of no no not not the Brock Purdy part. Oh, because I could stomach Brock Purdy over what I'm about to say. I think Dak. Da- I think Dak <laughs> is probably the MVP. And I, listen. I hate it because I can poke a million holes in that argument and it's bullshit. But at the end of the day, like Dak, other than the Arizona game and when they just got absolutely shit pumped by your Niners, Dak has week in and week out been the best player in football. I mean, I would say Josh Allen, but Josh Allen has too many interceptions. Um, So if you combine... in defense of Brock, if he goes on a, a tear here and he had 368 yards this game and he played incredible uh, against the the Eagles, look the the numbers. He played incredible we'll against the Brock. Seahawks the first time. Yeah, that's what I mean. The, if he the, goes the on numbers, a tear here, the numbers tell you it's Brock, right? And and to me, that's why I'm like, and, and this is the part of the MVP award that's stupid, which is that it ultimately turns into a, um, you know, wins are a QB stat category which is stupid wins aren't a quarterback stat but we force it on to we say that like smart people in media the mean of times and stuff say that okay it's so dumb wins aren't a quarterback stat wins aren't a quarterback stat 
And then we have these votes on MVP and the media also then reward the players who have the most wins. And it's, it's not that Brock Purdy's not fucking awesome. I said it last week and I'll continue to say it. Brock Purdy's fucking awesome. He is absolutely an upgrade from what Jimmy G was. No question. Um, Jimmy G also had all of what, two games with Christian McCaffrey. And I'm sorry, Christian McCaffrey, kind of a massive difference maker. And Jimmy G also took this Niners team to the Super Bowl. Right. And he didn't it's, even sniff an MVP. And that was without Christian McCaffrey, right? If we had had a crazy. full sample size of Jimmy G for a season with Christian McCaffrey and then Brock Purdy with a season with Christian McCaffrey, and we could see the difference, right? And it's like, oh, Brock Purdy's so much better with his offense and it's the same supporting cast, then I'd say, sure. All right, and let's give it the, to Brock. That's we the thing. It's like that. in in all of the it's it's hilarious. Like you'll see that uh, being the MVP part for Brock being talked about in the media, but then you watch any single analysis show, listen to any radio show, podcast, whatever that are talking about the Niners, and every the immediate first thing out of the mouth is, "Well, how do you guard Ayuk and Debo and CMC and Kittle?" And like all of those options that you listed off on offense are not Brock Purdy. So like, well, and also that, that's and, what I think the anomaly is. And <laughs> I think he, I think you would agree with me on this too. Brandon Ayuk right now and at the second half of last season is nowhere near Dude. the version of Brandon Ayuk that Jimmy G had for two for three years. Not a chance. No. Right? Even he's, Debo he's becomes such a better route runner. He's become much more intelligent. He's better at blocking. Dude, coming out of um, Arizona, he was like this raw freak athlete talent but like he wasn't polished at all and yeah. jimmy g had like rookie debo and rookie brandon Ayuk, and everyone then goes well look at the jimmy g didn't have these numbers that brock purdy's having with debo and Ayuk, and it's like because they are significantly better players yeah. now than they were when jimmy g was there and jimmy g's yeah. injury history and stuff also kind of muddies everything as to being like how much how much was Jimmy G? How much wasn't Jimmy G? How much were these guys versus weren't those guys? So I hate it when you see the talking pieces who are like, well, look how much better Brock Purdy's numbers are. It's like, because Ayuk's in his prime. Debo's in his prime. Kittle's in his prime. CMC is having the best season of his career. Like, Jimmy G never had this. So stop comparing yeah. the two just because the names yeah, on the I'm rosters were the same, you know? Um but I don't know. Like I, I feel like if if the media is going to have to put the 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 QB wins aspect into it, and you have to give it to one of the best teams. Annoyingly, I'd have to say it's Dak because Dak has answered the question that we didn't never knew if he could, which is can he have one of those seasons where he's not turning the ball over a ton and he's finding ways to win games. And outside of the game against Arizona, and then when they just got bludgeoned by San Francisco, yeah, Dak has been exceptional in 11 out of 13 games and frankly like if we're going off of that metric alone then purdy was bad in those three games that he was missing his guys and that game against arizona four out of the five starting offensive linemen for dallas were out so like Dak gets should get the benefit of the doubt in that game too you know he was missing sure. four fifths of his starting line i listen man i said it last week and i'll say it again give him the mvp don't give him the mvp give it don't give it to any one of the niners i don't care Go get me a ring. And I think they're on their way to doing that. All right. Uh, last two games will go over quickly here. Um, Broncos, Chargers, Broncos. We, we said at the time, easy lock. 
Uh, of course, we were not anticipating Justin Herbert getting knocked out of this game. Um, yeah, I will. Trouble. I, I will say this since I, I have the uh, the tweet up in front of me, or at least I did have the tweet up in front of me. Um, Schefter did put out a report today about Justin Herbert saying uh, Justin Herbert is very likely to undergo surgery on Tuesday on his fractured right index finger. As of right now, Herbert might have a chance to, or Herbert will have any chance to be able to return this season. Rephrased. Whether Herbert will have any chance to be able to return this season will be determined by the surgery. So essentially, depending on how the surgery goes or whether or not, if you're Justin Herbert, I wouldn't be rushing to come back this season. You're five and A right now. You could end up with a top 10 pick. Um, and frankly, that roster needs it. Not to mention Brandon Staley's definitely getting fired. Um, I have a feeling we have seen the last of Justin Herbert. Uh, and shout out to Easton Stick, FCS prod, uh, prospect. Uh, goes all the way back to North Dakota State, guys. He was the guy who replaced Carson Wentz at North Dakota State. Uh, That's and, crazy. Yeah. That dude is properly yacked. Like, yeah, which is so funny because... A- Look up a picture of Easton Stick at North Dakota State because he was did not look like that. I'll say is that right? That. Yeah. Did he look more like a stick? Yeah, he <laughs> had a he had plenty of time to uh to build up the muscles having not had to play any meaningful snaps in the NFL over the last couple of years. He just hung around <laughs> as like a third stringer on the Chargers since he's been in the league because they had Chase Daniel come in for a while. So I'm pretty sure Sunday Rod. was like only the <laughs> second or third time. Yeah, Tarad there too. I'm pretty sure it was only like the second or third time he's ever had to actually play in a game. That's crazy. Um, <laughs> and he's been in the league for for like five plus years. So good, good, good for, for Easton him, Stick. Yeah. Um, but the Broncos dude, defense for for it's a shout out Vito is is <laughs> like after watching Alex Singleton as an Eagle to see what he does now in that defense is infuriating. Um, Boy, could you but, use him at this yeah, point? Ain't, ain't that the fucking truth? Um, but yeah, he's th- that defense is legit, and um, they're playing what Detroit next week. Woo! Is it that's uh, I think it's Detroit, right? Yeah, that's we went over it earlier. I, I think it was Detroit, it was one of the NFC North teams. Yeah, Detroit, Patriots, Chargers, and Raiders. Damn, dude, Denver's that sounds dude. If Denver finishes the season 11 and 6, I call it. Dude, they're I'm only it now. They're Denver's only, a playoff team. They're only one game behind the Chiefs, and they have a head head to head. They split. Oh baby! So, so if they if they went out and they get that second game against the Chargers, <laughs> I'm on now football, granted guys. the Chiefs. I do think the Chiefs only lost this season and in division was against the Broncos. If I have that correct, yeah, yeah. they lost the Broncos. Yeah, so that but they also so that and then the Chiefs play New England, Vegas. Cincinnati and the Chargers, um, and Denver has. So they both got two divisional games left. Yeah, Denver has Detroit, New England, Chargers, and Raiders. Um, no, Kansas City only has one. Oh, they have the Raiders. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, right. Um, so yeah, so chances are because Denver's lost. So the head-to-head, right? But hey, I mean, I don't know the Chiefs. Chiefs have to play. They both got to play the Bengals. You got the Raiders, Chargers, maybe. No, it's a, Kansas City will still probably win the division. But honestly, with how this team's been playing, you never know. Never know. Uh, and the yeah. last thing we'll talk about 
the greatest, the, the biggest what if of the 2023 NFL season. What if we had had a nothing, nothing tie, which I wanted more than anything in my life. Um, it's a shame we didn't oof, get it. I was so gross. That game was so gross. <laughs> three nothing, first time since 2007. Do you remember the game that was the last three nothing game? I do not. It was Steelers Dolphins. And there's a very famous clip from this game of a punt that uh, landed and plugged in the field. Like if you're playing golf on a wet on a wet course and you hit a you know great drive or a little iron shot and just plugged straight into the grass and didn't move, that happened to an NFL football in a, on a punt. Um, that was the last time that we uh, we had a three nothing. It's the lowest scoring indoor game in NFL history. The Raiders, yeah, the Antonio Pierce stuff has kind of worn off. I feel bad because I do think Antonio Pierce deserves a shot to be the head coach, but I think at this point they would have needed to go on a tear where they were like, you know, seven and six or six and seven, and they're kind of right there, maybe sneaking into the playoffs, and maybe they make the playoffs like they did with uh, Rich Pisaccia, but that didn't happen. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's gross, but the Vikings are seven and six. Uh, Josh Dobbs officially benched, not going to take a victory lap on that because I like Josh Dobbs, but this was the, this was the unfortunate truth that I was talking about, which is that whenever we have these, these awesome stories in the middle of the season, you always kind of have to have in the back of your mind, like, yeah, eventually this is going to kind of backfire and, and, and wear itself out. So, and and JJ getting hurt like two seconds after he came back after missing what, seven weeks. Yeah, now he um, was uh, he, the buying. He went to the hospital to make sure he didn't have any punctured lungs or anything, but he's currently listed as day to day. And there's a good chance he'll end up playing this week uh, in their in their next game. So we will see. We will see. Uh, that's all we got in the pod. Long pod. Thank you to Scotty for for hanging out. Thank you uh, to Vito, as always, for being a pal. And um, go birds. Woo. Yay. We love hey. it. Uh, okay, bud. <laughs> it's all right. The Flyers look great. Flyers look awesome. So go, go Flyers. Cause right now everything else feels like it's falling, <laughs> but we will be back oh, later boy. in the week to preview week 15 of the NFL until then. I hope Saturday everybody, games. we got three Saturday games. I love this time of year when we get Saturday games in the NFL, uh, three standalone games on Saturday. So get ready for that. And we will get you guys ready. Best of luck for all those who are going to be in the fantasy football playoffs this week. Maybe we'll sleep, sneak in a little fantasy. Well, I don't know if we want to do that because we might have a couple of head-to-head matchups. Maybe we don't want to give too much away, but maybe we'll do a little fantasy talk on uh, on Friday's show and see if we can get get people ready for their... Uh... Well, especially if... Uh... Well, if we're on a bye. If you and I are on a bye, we will. Yeah, <laughs> knock on wood. Knock on wood. Uh, but until then, thank you to everybody. We will be back later on the week. And as always... Take it easy, everybody.